does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Right now, the most important thing is to win a game, and I'm trying to trying to win a game in uh, any possible way. I don't need to shoot uh, and I don't need to score. I I, I know I, I don't need to score to affect the game, and I think I did a good job today. Everybody, everybody contribute. Uh, Ag, Jamal, Mike, Casey, like everybody who played contributes, on, and it's, it's it's a great win for us. I'm always going to pass the ball to my teammates. I have so much belief and faith in them. Um, that they're going to take and make shots. And if they can't, then they're going to make the next play. That's how we've been playing all year long. Um, that's not going to change now that we're in the finals. Uh, maybe I have to be a little bit more aggressive. I got to put pressure on the rim. Um, me with no free throws, that was all myself, nobody else. So, you know, we'll definitely correct that next game, but only I can do that. You know, it's funny. Are we back in the bubble right now with the uh, Jimmy Butler sound where it's just like... <laughs> It's an airport terminal in the background. But I like what he was saying there, Jimmy. Uh, but I just had flashbacks to, uh, what was it, 2020 mm-hmm. when we had the bubble going on over there? It sounded like that audio again. Yeah, not exactly the highest of quality. Perhaps it was obviously joking here intentionally by Jimmy Butler because the loss doesn't want that audio out there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, right. but yeah, very, very much reminiscent of uh, a... Uh, very strange time within sports history and within society as a whole back in 2020. What a time that was. Very strange. <laughs> Glad we're out of that Same. little era over there for sure. But I love how Eddie Garrison, shout out to him, how he put those cuts together back to back because you think about it. Game one of the NBA finals last night, Denver wins 104 to 93. And you've got Jokic talking about trusting his teammates. He only took three shots in the first half, Jimmy. He took 12 shots for the game and ended up with 27 points, but he got all of his teammates involved, and it worked to Denver's benefit. Meanwhile, Jimmy Butler... He was trying to get his teammates involved, but it was a brick fest. They could not make shots routinely. And so that's where I I think the difference is. I look at Denver. If Jokic is passing the ball and the guys are missing open shots, you're going to see Jokic be more assertive. You're going to see him take more of the offensive burden if guys just can't hit shots. And that's the weird thing about Jimmy Butler. I love the dude. He's been magnificent in the playoffs. But he's had a couple of these games where you scratch your head and you're like, Jimmy, it's time to be aggressive. It's time to be assertive. And like he said, maybe attack the rim right there. Pressure the rim. I like that. He needed to do that, but he didn't do that in game one. Instead, he found you know, Max Struess who couldn't hit a shot, or Duncan Robinson or Caleb Martin. None of those guys could make shots. you got to see him be more assertive in those instances. Yeah, it's not a fatigue factor for the role players because they still got the volume of shots they would usually get. I know the free throws make this number a little bit wonky, but they took 17 more shots or more field goal attempts than Denver did. They obviously lose this game by 11. The larger issue for me, though, is your initial point there, which is Jimmy Butler. And much like any uh, (laughs) financial advisor, I need to disclose my stock in this particular instance. Uh I may or may not have been a part of a DraftKings boost where all I needed was just 25 points from Jimmy Butler, and it was clear by about halftime of that game we were not going to get the level of aggressiveness by Jimmy Butler that would be 
called upon to hit said number. Yes, Eddie Garrison, I am aware you took the under. I was Bravo. about to say, you should have listened. I, I should have, but it was one of those numbers that was manipulated, so it was lower than where things were last night when we gave our bets. It was one of those, like, reel you in type of promos. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is a safe bet. We'll throw 25 bucks on it, let it ride. Uh, Jokic is doing great. Look at Jamal Murray. No such luck for Jimmy Butler, but bets aside, yeah, there were there were a lot of times where you look at him post game and he's complaining about the well, he's not complaining about the free throws. He's acknowledging the free throws, takes accountability that it's his fault because it is his fault. There were no real aggressive drives to the rim. He was passive at times, and while that's not necessarily a bad thing when your role players rise to the occasion, right. Did not happen like it did in Game 7 with those that are built around Jimmy Butler outside of Bam Adebayo, who at times looked like he was you know, just playing a, <laughs> playing a scrimmage. It was a one-on-one matchup between him and Jokic in terms of scoring. Well, that was the thing is I have no problem with Jimmy Butler getting his teammates involved in general, and yeah. it served them well. It's one of the main reasons they're in the finals right now. But it's got to work. You know what I mean? Like, I'm... Of the firm belief, if it's not working, go to plan B, go to plan C, go to plan F if you need. I don't care. But if plan A clearly is not working, it doesn't make sense to stick with it. And with plan A being Jimmy Butler, let's get other uh, let's get my teammates involved. If they can't hit shots, not even routinely, like at all, (laughs) like it's time for him to just take over. And he did not do that last night at all. I have a hard time finding proper paths, and we were discussing this yesterday when we made our series predictions, for Miami to really make this a series unless they are able to truly take command of a game early on. This is always a glass half full type of thing like, oh, you know, the game was already done at this point, but you needed that 30 spot out of the gate when you gave up 29 from Denver. Like the fact that they were missing open looks very early in this game, you wind up being down by 17 at half. It was a lost cause by halftime, even if they did knock on the door of eight or seven, much like we saw Boston do in game seven against Miami. There were a couple runs, Michael Malone, quick timeout, reset things. Everything's fine for Miami. If it's not going to be a more aggressive, Jimmy Butler, like, I mean, really dictating things and his teammates are taking a back seat. You got the type of offensive performance that we were worried about from Bam Adebayo. Would he be able to hold his own against Jokic from an offensive standpoint? He did from an offensive standpoint. Defensively, still goes up 27. And if your thought was, well, limit Nikola Jokic, or sorry, let Nikola Jokic get his, limit everybody else, that did not work. Aaron Gordon found matchups he liked the entire first half. Michael Porter Jr. was knocking things down. And Jamal Murray was Jamal Murray. And that's not even mentioning Bruce Brown doing what we said role players from Miami needed to do off the bench, which is knock down a couple threes, finish in double figures, and your feet are up by the time we're in the middle of the fourth quarter. So I don't know how Miami's going to piece this together, but... Denver was everything we expected them to be that we warned Miami they would be going into game one. Well, and this is the thing. Um, I thought Denver would win the series going in. I still think they will. But it might sound weird. I'm not as down on Miami today as it feels like most people are. You know, I know there's a little nuance. Like I said, I think Denver's going to win the series. But I think it could be a little bit more harder of a fight than... I feel like most people believe it will be on the heels of game one. Because I look at it like this, Jim, uh, Jimmy, is Jimmy Butler, like we talked about, he was passive. He's going to be a lot better in this series. There's no way you're going to get like 13 points consistently from Jimmy Butler 
here on out. I don't know how DraftKings knows. They just know. <laughs> I don't know what it is with these boosts. And you're like, are you serious? He can't get to 20 points? He's... No, he wasn't even sniffing 20 points. I don't know how they know. But Jimmy Butler is going to be more assertive. He's going to be a better player as the series goes on. And then these role players, I don't know if it was like the first finals appearance and it was a little bit of a tight sphincter situation going on there or what, but Max Truce. He was 0 for 10 from the field. Caleb Martin's 1 for 7 from the field. Duncan Robinson's 1 for 6 from the field. So combined, those guys are 2 for 23 from the field. And from three-point range, those three again, Struess, Martin, Robinson. 2 for 16 from distance. So Jimmy's going to be better. The role players will be better. And they ended up losing a game by 11 that they could have lost by 30 easily. So I don't know. I just think that it's going to be a little bit more of a harder fight for Denver. I still think they're going to win the series, but I don't think it's a cakewalk. And my general sense is a lot of people are anticipating a cakewalk here. My conversation was five to six games for Denver. The official one I locked in was Denver in six and I guess my concern and why I want to you know bring you back into this conversation is, is it a matter of when you look at this, just not just the box score, but how that game went, if it's instead a 25-point for performance by Jimmy Butler, if we're looking at the rest of the role players, where does it level out in terms of, like Highsmith goes for 18 last night, that's not something you're going to necessarily rely on, but mm-hmm. it backed up the fact that Caleb Martin had three points and Max Drews couldn't find his way around Denver, the high altitude just got to him as he went 0 for 10, like you mentioned, 0 for 9 from beyond the arc, where does it balance out to a point that the offense has to meet them in the middle somewhere, but also a team that is prided itself all season this entire playoff run off of their defensive principles they let my or they let denver rather shoot 50 percent from the field they get 20 free throw attempts make 16 of them and a lot of it was mm-hmm. whenever the ball went inside you were either dead to rights with Jokic, either getting fouled or getting an easy layup or he makes the perfect pass to an open shooter or another big man or a cutter to his left and you're dead to rights that way. So they need to refocus and refigure out exactly how they're going to do things on the defensive end to get those stops that make Miami such a cerebral team in the open court. If that happens, I'm with you. Then I see there's a series of going to make Denver work for this. If you see anything close to what you saw in game one, in game two, I, I think this very well could be a gentleman sweep, if not a straight up sweep by Denver. Well, okay, so you're on the opposite side. Not you're, not as extreme, but but like <laughs> it, 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 I need to see it. I need to see it immediately in game two. Like like I'm willing to say, okay, it's a game. Jimmy Butler's going to figure it out. You're exactly right. He's not going to average 13 this series. There's no way. Like it, right. it, it, he will he will be somewhere in the range of 20 to 25 points a game the rest of the way. If Miami's going to have a legitimate shot at this, I just look at it as this is not Boston anymore where there's clear flaws in that team's game. This is not New York, where it's basically a a puncher's matchup where you have a strong chance, and it's not Milwaukee where they're playing with their food. And also in all those series, how much it really matters depends on which coaches and players you talk to, but give credit to Michael Malone. Not that his team needed extra motivation, but all those series started one way, and that was Miami taking game one. They're now in the backseat of a series for the first time this playoffs. How do they respond to that is my question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's. I, I just think of it as it's one game. Sure. It's, it's one game. They're on the road. They dropped it. And, and look, there are a few things where 
they I think that some of it is fatigue. They're in altitude. They just came off the heels of a hard-fought seven-game series against Boston. And so I think some of it was literally just energy. I, I don't think they are playing with, with great energy last night. And being down one nothing in the series, I think that's highly motivating for game two. You need that game badly. Yes to make it, not just make it a series, they're trying to win the freaking thing. You know what I mean? They're not like, hey, let's make it a, at, at worst a six-game series. They're trying to win this thing. Absolutely. So it it's an important game, obviously, for that. And I, I don't think they're going to shoot that badly collectively going forward. I, that's probably the outlier of the entire series where they shoot that badly from the field. And I promise you this, they're not going to have a game where they only attempt two free throws. <laughs> for sure. They're going to be way more aggressive. So... I think it's going to be a harder fight for Denver, even though I eventually see them winning it. How about this also with Jokic? Another triple-double. He's got nine of them in 16 playoff games just in this postseason alone, which is astounding. And this is going to sound ridiculous, but I, 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 hopefully I can say it right. It just made me think of Zach Eady. You know, he's going back to Purdue. I'm not saying Zach Eady needs to be the spitting image of Nikola Jokic, okay? He's a two-time MVP. For my money, he should be a three-time MVP, but that's a discussion for another day. You look at Zach, I'm not saying you got to be exactly like Jokic, but you got to be able to shoot from outside. You've got to be able to stretch your game, and that's why he's going back to Purdue. I'm curious how much we're going to see Zach Eady shoot, because if you could be that dominant... By the rim, yep. inside, like, why would you shoot? It's a little bit like Trace Jackson Davis at IU, where he's just dominating in the paint near the rim. But the NBA, they need to see you shoot it from outside and extend your range. Otherwise, he's going to have similar stock when next year's draft rolls around. That was a conversation that, that I've had with a couple people in regards to Purdue's future and where things kind of change for them with Zach Eady coming back. You're spot on in regards to whether it's Nikola Jokic, whether it's Joel Embiid, whether it's Anthony Davis, guys that are modern big men that are able to still go dominate you in the post when they want to, but they're so high level at every other aspect of their game, stretching the floor, making the right passes, being able to work still occasionally with the dribble. For Zach Eady, though, and you obviously lived this, Brian. I was just a kid, but I've I've watched highlights and full games of it, and I just recently got off a, a Shaq documentary kick uh, this past weekend, <laughs> which is why I'm going this way. Uh, it was Shaq's four-part series on HBO, and he talked about the Orlando days and, and the lead-up to his jump to the NBA and how, at some point in time, People were like, well, should we should you try to focus on maybe a little mid-range jumper for him or focus more on jump shooting? Mm. And it was like, no, until somebody takes it away from you, particularly at the college level, why would you stop being who you are? But it is a catch-22 now in the modern NBA because that shift has happened so much where if NBA dreams are still on Zach Eady's horizon, will his game at Purdue change at all? Or is it going to mm-hmm. be still what we saw last year, which is... Back to the basket, go dominate, get yourself 25, 30 points. But we saw in the combine that he's got a nice shot on him. So how, how does Matt Painter utilize that, if at all, when you have such an ace in your pocket with him back to the basket? It's tricky, isn't it? Because Matt Painter's objective is for Purdue to win games. Mm-hmm. It's not to necessarily, like, secondarily is, it'd be nice if we could improve Zach Eady's draft stock. Like, that's not going to be priority number one for Matt Painter and Purdue. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see 
how Zach Eady is utilized if his game is stretched a bit, where I'm not expecting him to shoot, you know, three to five threes a game or something <laughs> like that. But are we going to see an elbow jumper from time to time? Are we going to see mid-range at least? Are we going to see him once in a blue moon attempt a three? Right? Like, those are all questions that will be interesting to be answered. And the other thing is the sample size, if it's so small, if he's shooting from outside, let's say, I don't know, I'm just ballparking it, random guess. Let's say Zach Eady shoots something really, really low. Like he takes 16 three-pointers next season. You know what I mean? Sure. If he has a horrible percentage, it's like, oh, stink. Stinkopotamus over here, right? Like He can't shoot from outside. If he has a good percentage, it's like, well, he only shot it 16 times. How do we really know? I don't think there's any winning if the sample size is that low. I think from a crowd poll, there's no winning. I think if it's, let's say for the sake of argument, because we haven't had an official like full-scale commentary from Zach Eady, and that will come of what his draft process was like and what kind of feedback did he get. If the feedback from scouts and, and from the like in the NBA was, we need to see more of a extension of your game being able to stretch the floor, then it won't matter as much what the percentage is offhand. It'll matter more game by game and situationally where were these three-pointers taken? And that's something that, again, the common fan isn't going to do, but a scout's going to look at and see, okay, why was he taking these threes? Is it because it's in the flow of the offense, or is it because, oh, well, the scouts told me I need to take threes, so I'm going to start jacking it up from Curry mm-hmm. range. There's, It's going to be more situational for Edie if it is a small sample size, like you said, whether it's 16 attempts, whether it's 30 attempts over the course of a year, I think it'll be more situational for it being just a one-year sample. And I think the true test is when the competition gets better. Yeah. Then what does it look like? Because it's one thing in non-conference to be playing North McGillicuddy State or like the athletes in action. And it's like, all right, go ahead. Take a couple of threes, Zach. Let's just see what happens. But then all of a sudden you're playing a big conference game or it's a rivalry game against IU. Right? In those situations, I want to see how much Zach Eady is expanding his game and shooting from either distance or at least mid-range. But it bears watching this year. It's going to be very interesting. It would be pretty great for him to go ahead and just like take 20 three-pointers non-conference and then take five the rest of the year. (laughs) But he went like 10 for 20 in non-conference. Like, I did what you told me to do. See, look at the numbers. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then it just dips, 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 dips. It could could happen like that. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Okay, so let me switch gears on you. Let's talk a little ball over here because this caught my eye. So free agent wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. He's tweeting emojis. You know? Always ends well. Tweeted three emojis yesterday where it's indicating, hey, something's in the works. You know, it's like the little uh, uh, it's a little animal and he's got like uh, his hands over his ears and then his hands over his eyes and his hands over his mouth. And it's like, oh, DeAndre Hopkins has a secret over here. What does this mean? But this also happened yesterday as well. So the Houston Chronicles, Brooks Cabina, okay. He tweeted this, Jimmy. DeAndre Hopkins is interested in rejoining the Texans, per source. Hopkins was officially released by the Cardinals Tuesday. It's a new regime, an emerging team that needs a wide receiver. 
Not breaking news as C.J. Stroud goes from Ohio State to the barren wasteland of no first-round wide receivers over there with the Houston Texans. So, yeah, they could absolutely use DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not buying this at all, Jimmy, because DeAndre Hopkins has said he wants to play for a Super Bowl contender. That's not Houston. He wants to play for with a proven Veteran quarterback, that's not what Houston has. So I think this screams leverage, leverage, leverage. And maybe you try to get a couple of teams in the mix and, hey, I'm thinking about going over here. Hey, I'm interested in that squad. I can't see him landing with the Texans at all. I would be surprised as well. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that it is leverage. But there's one thing about these free agent conversations that have happened this week or been reported to happen as everybody's trying to figure out where the top wide receiver left on the board is going to end up. It's not looking like Buffalo. And in that same vein, it's not looking like Kansas City because of the cap space that both of those teams have and in terms of the money that DeAndre Hopkins wants. There is a clear fork in the road for DeAndre Hopkins right now. He's a 30-year-old wide receiver. He is still among one of the better wideouts in the game, not near where he was the height of his powers, but he would still be a valuable contributor wherever he ends up. But the fork in the road is contend for a championship with a great quarterback like that list he did on the I Am An Athlete podcast or get that cache. And if he chooses mm-hmm. the other pathway, Houston has, depending on where you look, if it's over the cap or if it's sport track, 16 to $20 million in cap space, the money will talk at some point where that's not as far-fetched as we may think if money is the path he chooses to go down. Yeah, well, that's the thing is... <laughs> Is it cash or is it contender? Right. Is it cash or is it upper echelon quarterback? If he wants to lie to himself, he could say he's doing both and go to Dallas. But, you know, that's not doing both. You're still just getting money. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Some Cowboys heat over there. Wow. I didn't anticipate that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh, it'll be interesting to see which team that he does land with because this is the other thing. He's going to be 31 next week. Right. And so... Is it possibly a one-year prove-it deal? Is this like an Odell Beckham Jr. type deal for DeAndre? Because if it's not a like a long-term deal, I I, I think that you got to position yourself with an upper echelon quarterback if you're playing the long mm-hmm. game. I know he would be 32 next year, but if he goes to a, a, a an upper echelon quarterback team. And he puts up decent numbers, and it's a one-year deal. Um, he could really cash in the next year. I'm not saying it's going to be a five-year deal, but he could have, you know, like a shorter three-year deal for a decent amount of cash. If he puts up numbers, it's going to ooh and ah a lot of teams. He's played what like ten games a couple of years ago, nine games last year, or vice versa, and and he's he doesn't have that ooh ah factor. You know what I mean? Yes. Where. He's been playing in Arizona the last three years. So if he went to, I don't know, he took a significant haircut, played with a top five quarterback, put up numbers, I think that he could cash in more so in the long run. I don't know fully where his health is at in terms of if he's at a high risk of re-injury or not, but assuming he's not and he's got the all clear, I'm with you. I would want to go get a ring right now, play for a contender like a Buffalo, like a Kansas City, even though you're looking at probably like one point. It'd be be close to a minimum type of deal. But once you did that, 
you can rob the Texans of sixteen million a year for three years anytime you want. Like that's as long as you stay healthy and you put up numbers, <laughs> that's not going anywhere. It's really not. Like if you go call up Nick Casario in a year and you're thirty two, but you have a shiny ring on your hand, you'll be making three years twenty million no problem, even as a thirty two year old. I'm confident in that. Can you imagine if the Packers Signed him like first year without Aaron <laughs> Rodgers, and somehow the Packers got DeAndre Hopkins. That would be beautiful. And you know, your first sort of like you know, backhanded compliment thing on the Cowboys, Dallas is not a bad spot for DeAndre. Now, here's the thing I think he's more name than game at this point because DeAndre Hopkins, he has had a strong, strong career, but he's going into year 11 and he turns 31 next week. So I think wherever he lands, that fan base is going to be thinking peak DeAndre Hopkins, and he's not that guy anymore. He's got a hamstring injury here. He's got a bump and a bruise there. He's missing time. He got popped for six games for violating the PED policy. You You don't use PEDs when you're at the peak of your powers. You use PEDs when you're banged up and you've lost a step, you know? So I think that it's an interesting spot for DeAndre because he could play the one year thing, but Bro, he's got to have a great, great year, and it's not like he has a lot more years to command top dollars. So it's a really interesting spot for him here. This is a weird comparison, but I'm going to once again go to my, my Chiefs well in terms of a role you could have. And they're two different receivers, but they've had different hypes around their careers, right? I think about the year or two years, rather, that Sammy Watkins spent in Kansas City. What I mean is that in that role, even though out of the draft, Sammy Watkins was viewed as a wide receiver one. He was dealing with injuries at the time. The Rams didn't want him anymore. And he winds up in Kansas City. And his role all of a sudden is no longer a wide receiver one, but he still has the skill set to be that. He's taken a backseat to the likes, though, of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. When you look at his role in Dallas, why I do agree with you, it might be a good spot. I just take the Dallas shot in there because they always seem to let people down uh, in the postseason, but you're looking at a roster with Michael Gallup, Brandon Cook, CeeDee Lamb just at the wideout alone, Like there could very easily be a low expectation, get money, high contribution role for him in Dallas and still be on a make yourself feel good contender even though we were discussing the NFC yesterday yeah. and you look at San Francisco and then you go ahead and you look at Philadelphia and then you look around and who's a real contender in the NFC Dallas likes to think they are. I believe it when I see it type of guy when it comes to the Cowboys. They are. You got to believe they're a real contender. I'll tell you why. Because you go back to the playoffs last year and they lost on the road against San Francisco, who everybody's just falling all over themselves to just drool over again. (laughs) Oh, the Niners. Oh, my gosh. They were in that game. It's a one possession game. Dak Prescott was freaking terrible. Two awful interceptions. They lose Tony Pollard, but they are in that game on the road. And I realize that no one wants to buy into Dallas, and I get it. I understand all of that. But you absolutely have to... to involve them in the contender list. There aren't that many contenders in the NFC. They're absolutely one of them. There's not a long list. My debate in our conversation that we had yesterday, James Boyd and I, was are they in Tier 1 or are they a team holding a ticket to get into Tier 1 at the top of Tier 2? Nope. Tier 1. Okay. I mean, it's Philly, it's San Francisco, it's Dallas. I mean, you could say it's Philly and San Francisco in Tier 1 that you could have a little bit of separation. I don't. I put Dallas right in that Tier 1 in the NFC. My phrasing yesterday was you got Philadelphia, you got San Francisco, 
maybe Dallas <laughs> is Minnesota a real thing? Probably no, not. No. Like like that's but but again that that's that those are two teams that come out of my mouth. It was not boom 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 Philly San Francisco Dallas. It was Philly San Francisco Dallas and Minnesota are hanging out or either one of them for real. Like I'm just at a point with the Cowboys where I need to see it actually happen for real in the postseason. I mean making it all the way. Like I'm 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 a doubting Thomas when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys in this particular era. Not saying they're not a good team because there's not a ton of competition in the NFC, but there is a little bit of a gap there for me between Philly and San Fran and them. I'll put it this way real fast. The capper on this. If you're looking for a team in Texas to join, if you're DeAndre Hopkins, oh, no question. it's the Cowboys. <laughs> no it is not no Texas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll, you'll get me on your team real quick with that. I would much <laughs> rather play for America's team than whatever they're cooking up over there in Houston. Yeah, yeah. I'm right there with you. And the Cowboys have more cap space. They That's do. the unbelievable thing right there. Yeah. All right, we got a lot to get to. I want to play a game. <laughs> have you seen the Saw movies there, Jimmy? Uh, just the first. Just the first. I want to play a game. Uh, we want to do it uh, NFL style meets golf. Ooh. You might be thinking, what in the world does this have? I'll explain, and we're going to have a little bit of fun around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Okay, so I was I was reading yesterday, Jimmy. You know, I, I take my show prep very, very seriously. Diligent preparer, some have said about me leaving no stone unturned, you know? And I I came across something from Bill Barnwell, does a great job at ESPN, covers the NFL. And he was just ranking. It would have taken me, I'm thinking a minimum of three months to read this entire column. But he was ranking the best and worst NFL off-seasons. And so I skimmed through a couple of teams, and I read the Colts, and then I saw the the Titans ranked 32nd. Had him as the worst offseason in the NFL. Well, that wasn't best. It wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't the other way. It wasn't in the inverse order. They're not they're not cream of the crop. You know, um, <laughs> it wasn't all about Will the Thrill Levis being selected in the second round. You know, they lost a lot of talent. They got rid of. They shed a lot of cap space. Right. They made a lot of moves as far as that goes. It's another uh, GM. You know, offensive coordinator. We got all kinds of change going on here in Tennessee. So it wasn't just a shot at Will right. the Thrill Levis. But there was one line that made me think a little bit. He's talking about Rand Carthon, who's the new GM over there, and said. Um, he, uh, he moved up in the second round to, gra- to grab Will Levis, who could start at quarterback for Tennessee in 2024. And I thought that was an interesting line right there, you know? And so it got me to think, hey, we should have a guessing game over here. I want to play a game. If we look at the top four quarterbacks drafted and we pick the number of starts that we're expecting from these guys this year, and we do it like golf, okay? So if you say, for instance, you say, okay, C.J. Stroud, I'm going to say he starts 12 games. If he ends up starting like seven, you missed it by five. If he ends up starting 17, you missed it by five, whether you're over or under. You know what I mean? And so the objective 
is to not cost, cost yourself strokes. You know, you want to nail it right on. So if you look at these four guys, and I mean, Eddie Garrison, you could get in on this if you want to. But if we just go with these four and we write down what we're anticipating in terms of their starts, and we'll see who's the closest collectively. I, this could be, I think this could be a barrel of laughs over here. Uh, Jimmy, what do you think about this? I'm you all in? on board. Let's go. Okay. I'm thinking the buy-in is okay, like the not, World Series uh, of Poker, $10,000. What do you think about that? And here it is. I knew there was going to be no. some, type of, uh, uh, some type of caveat of how to play this game. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll not do that. that. Uh, we'll see. If you love your picks enough, maybe we'll put something on it at the end. But uh, okay, Jimmy, let's start with uh, top pick, the Smurf Bryce Young. H- how many starts for Bryce? This is including potential injuries, everything. You're just forecasting what you think's happened. Yep. I think that Bryce Young will start 17 games. 17 games? 17 wow. Games. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Eddie, you want in on this, or what do you think? Yeah, I'll, I'll get in on this. Okay, all right. What are you thinking for Bryce Young here, Eddie? 14. 14 starts for B. Young. What about you? Um, yeah, I'm going to give him a solid... One and a half? No, <laughs> I can't. I can't go that low. Uh, you know, I'm gonna say I'll go with eleven. Okay, you, you impressed me. My, in my head, I was thinking it's gonna be like seven or eight, but the fact that you went double figures makes me have faith in this exercise. Okay, we can I, I continue. Think you never know the nature of the injury. Sure. I just think of Tua. You know, or, or Tua is an undersized guy and. He missed five games last year. Lamar Jackson has missed five games each of the last two seasons. So I, I think it could be around there for for Bryce Young is what I would say. Okay, number two overall pick, C.J. Stroud. Eddie, we'll start with you. We'll kind of snake order this thing so it's a little bit more fair. Ooh, this is interesting. Um, I'm going to go 17. 17 for C.J. Stroud. Okay. Yep. Uh, what do you, uh, well, I guess I would be up next. Is that right? Yep. Uh, okay. C.J. Stroud, how many starts? Look, man, you might be onto something because it's a bigger kid. Outside of injury, how many starts do they go with with another QB? Probably not many. I'm gonna say it's. I'm gonna go 15. 15 for C.J. Stroud. What do you think, Jimmy? Man, that's what about the range I was gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. 14 because they shut him down towards the end of the season because things are so bad. It's like, yeah, CJ, we're fine. You just you just put your feet up. We're going to burn a tank to go. Uh, well, I guess they can't because they traded their draft picks. doesn't matter. Never mind. Forget it. I'm with Eddie. 17 because they don't have their first rounder anymore. So there's no real point to shut it down. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. Uh, he starts all 17. I know. Yeah. I realize I've started this on a very wild ride going 17 for 17. But here we are. Okay. All right. Now, the next one up. Anthony Clay Richardson, right? He's like Clay that they're just going to mold over here in Indy. Um, Okay, we've played this game before. I'm looking at around the Browns in week seven. So, you know, I'll give him, uh, you know, 11 sounds on the high end. It might not. I'll give him 11. I I think around 10 or 11. I'll go 11 on that. What do you think, Jimmy? Where are you at on this one? Anthony Richardson. I will go 14 starts for Anthony Richardson. 14. Okay, Eddie, what do you think? A. Rich. Uh, um, 14. Wow, that's high. 
Yeah, I probably go fourteen. I'll go thirteen. 13. I still think I still think there's a boat where they start in week one, and yeah. if that's the path that happens, unless he gets hurt, if the, if there's one thing of just franchise 101 that even us lay people here can understand, it is don't start a rookie quarterback and then six weeks later be like, yeah, we're giving you the hook, we're pulling you. Yeah. So if he's out there and they, you know, pull that emergency release valve right out of the gate, I think it could be we could be off on our 14. It could be the entire season. Okay, I hear you, but if you had to put money on this today, are you betting on Anthony Richardson being the week one starter? I would. You would? I would. You, Jimmy? Yeah, I probably would as well. You would as well? I just now, don't... I Look, at it, again, I know we're, we're prognosticating uh, on this because we're not there, right? And the limited exposure that we've gotten from OTAs at this point is hard to make a true, in fact statement for what this is but just looking at all the little nuggets we've gotten on Richardson I think it's going to be an evaluation by Steichen that he needs reps it's not an issue of learning my offense or understanding where things are that would be corrected by being on the bench it's things we're going to have to learn on the fly and it's going to be bumpy but an extra three or four games sitting behind Gardner Minshew is not what Anthony Richardson needs. I think that's what the evaluation could be. Again, I picked 14 saying that he probably won't start week one, but if I was to bet on it and those are my two paths, I'd say yes, they start him to begin the season. Okay, we'll finish here in a moment with Will the Thrill Levis, but real quickly, how about this news? The Suns are planning to hire Frank Vogel as their head coach, formerly obviously of the Pacers, the Magic, and the Lakers won a title with the Lakers, and he's going to get to team up with uh, KD and Devin Booker. And so that means that one of these guys, we're playing musical chairs with these coaching hires. We've got still Mike Budenholzer won a title two years ago with the Bucks. He doesn't have a gig yet. And Doc Rivers, right? So we got one opening left in the NBA. And I don't know if either of those guys are going to get the gig, but uh, one of them's going to be left out in the cold is what we take away from this. We could spend an entire segment discussing my next question and point, which is when you look at where Monty Williams was at a couple days ago, mm-hmm. average annual salary of about $13 million a year over the course of his six-year deal for Frank Vogel, five years, $31 million. There was this conversation of whether or not there'd be this big jump particularly from coaches with championship pedigree when contract negotiations are up. Are you at all surprised that Frank's money is where it's at, considering there's no salary cap when it comes to coaching contracts? Um, not necessarily because he was desperate to get back in. Sure. And to be able to get a gig like Phoenix with KD and Booker, and you've got a legitimate shot to win a championship, that is really, really enticing. And so... It works for Phoenix because they just kicked Monty to the curb and they owe him some cash. So you want to offset that by not paying even more money to your next head coach. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it makes sense. I don't know that they necessarily went bargain shopping. I'm not telling you that. No, I'm not either. But I think that I think that it makes sense for Vogel to say, okay, it's like less than half of what yeah. you know Monty is getting in Detroit but to take over this job and to get back as a coach in the NBA, I can absolutely see why he jumped at it. So this is not 
Monty Williams effectively was hardship pay to have to go to Detroit. This was not a a, 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 a market resetting deal, or is it still an anomaly? Because like you mentioned, Vogel is trying to get back in and wants an opportunity. The coaching market could still take a seismic shift via the Monty Williams deal or no. Um, I think it's case by case. Okay. I think it depends. I think that it's a step in coaches getting more money. I, I definitely think that for the like the upper echelon guys, the guys that have the leverage, sure. the guys that are that have hot names when they're about to be named head coach. Like Frank Vogel doesn't have a hot name. And be right a champion, now. Frank Vogel. That name becomes a little bit nicer, though. No. <laughs> yeah, but you know as well as I, know, I do. I know what you mean. Yeah. He got you know he got kicked out of La La Land. Yep. And he's been out of a gig since then. So he doesn't have a hot name right now, and that's why he didn't command yeah. top dollar. But you could also argue Monty Williams didn't either. <laughs> right? Like, Monty Williams doesn't have a hot name. They just got crushed in Game 7 in back-to-back years. And then yet he landed a huge payday in Detroit. I think it just, like, it speaks to where the state of the Pistons franchise <laughs> is. That's right why now. I called it a hardship clause. You got a, got a sweet <laughs> that deal to get Monty Williams to go coach the Pistons. Wow. Okay, last one here. Will the Thrill Levis, how many starts for Mr. Mayonnaise over there? Uh, we're back to you, Jimmy. What do you think on this one? Two. Two? St- two. All right, uh, Eddie, what do you think? Zero. <laughs> what? <laughs> so for real, before you give your guess, my two was Tannehill wins the job, the Titans don't go anywhere, and by the time it catches up to Mike Vrabel, they throw Levis out there to see what he's got mm-hmm. final two or three weeks of the season. So that's why I went two. I, also, I thought zero, zero was, was while funny, <laughs> I, I thought it defeated the point of the exercise, so I didn't want to go fully to zero there. Hey, it's yeah. a little bit of strategy here, too, as well, because you could be overshooting it with those first two. got to play zero to possibly get under. That's fair. But here, <laughs> the reason why I say zero is because I think the Titans could have some PTSD from last year where they threw Malik Willis out there too soon, and they may have the same fear with doing that again with Will Levis, and if you have Ryan Tannehill under contract one more year, there's no point of throwing Will out there possibly later in the season to possibly get hurt. Like, if you have Ryan Tannehill, you know you're not going to resign him, and Will Levis is your quarterback starting in 2024, then I don't see a reason why you would try to throw him out to the Wolves too early if he's not ready. Yeah, this is the swing player right here. Yep. I feel like I'm going to go Will Levis five starts okay. because my thinking is Ryan Tannehill is becoming a walking medicine cabinet. Mm-hmm. He's banged up quite a bit. And then also, even if he is upright, I don't know how well he's going to be playing. And I, they might look and say, hey, Will Levis, he's ready to the point where we don't think he's going to establish bad habits out there. Let's see if we can get a spark from him. And Will Levis is a better quarterback than you know Malik Willis is. I understand what you're saying there, Eddie. I totally get that. But I think coupled with this team could be struggling, Ryan Tannehill could be struggling, or he could be on the sideline hurt again, and you got to throw somebody out there. And I think it would be Will Levis in that situation. So I'm going to go with five. That might be a little light. Uh, based on everything that I'm thinking might happen. We sure it's but. not Josh Downs again? <laughs> no, he's on another team. <laughs> yeah, Joshua Dobbs, is, uh, he got picked up. I don't know where he I don't landed. Know why I said Downs. You, yeah. had Colts, you had Colts on the mind. It's yeah, I right. know, and they it's both okay. start with D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all right. 
I, I got to interview that guy when he was just got drafted. Nicest dude on the planet. I'm not even joking. He's with Cleveland now. That was an indictment of Malik Willis right there. Good Lord. They're like, let's just sign Dobbs off the street. It's got to be better than this freaking guy. Good Lord. Yeah, that was not a ringing endorsement for Malik Willis there. Yeah, they tried oh. to get Christian McCaffrey, but he wasn't available. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he had another gig, you yep. know, he didn't have time. Uh, okay, coming up next, whew, if we're playing the guessing game, this could be a doozy over here. What a powerful individual said about a, uh, a looming situation, if you will. That's on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Okay, so uh, not looking good for John Moran over here, Memphis Grizzlies guard. So this is NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. He's talking about the looming suspension for yet another gun video on social media. Here is the commish. Oh, gosh, another. What is with me? I was filling in for JMV on Tuesday. I've been forgetting to plug it. You can't forget to plug in when you're playing sound. Gosh, rookie mistake. Two shows in a row. Here's the commission. We've uncovered a fair amount um, of additional information. I think since I was still asked about the situation, I would say we probably could have brought it to a head now, but we made the decision, and I, and I believe the Players Association agrees with us, that it would be unfair to these players and these teams um, in the middle of the series to announce the results of that investigation. And given that we're, of course, in the offseason, he has now been suspended um, by, his, by the Memphis Grizzlies indefinitely, and so nothing is, would have changed anyway in the next few weeks. I, it, it seemed better to park um, that at the moment, at least any public announcement. And my sense now is that shortly after the conclusion of the finals, we, we will announce the outcome of that investigation. Whew. Looks like it's going to be a doozy of a suspension over here. Now, this is the NBA, led by Adam Silver. And I thought the first suspension was entirely weak. The Grizzlies suspended Ja for six games, and the NBA just tacked on two. Like, the Grizzlies suspended their own guy for more games than the NBA did. So it's collectively an eight-game suspension. But I think Adam Silver is hot about this one he sat down with Ja. he said Ja seemed to be on the same page that this can't continue <laughs> and then the next thing i know he's got another gun video over here so i think the commish he's gonna lower the boom on this one i'm anticipating somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 games for john ja morant you can't commit the same offense two months afterward and go lightly punished. And then he also mentioned, as you heard right there, uncovered a fair amount of other stuff. So I'm, I'm thinking it's in the 25 to 30 game range. I'm going to say 30 for this one. What do you guys think? That's about where I think it'll be at. Likely 25 to 30, you know, fair amount of the season. I will say, and again, I say this with caution because 
the uncovered a fair amount of additional information while also then saying, but it wouldn't be fair to be able to elaborate any more on that with the NBA finals going on. Okay, well then maybe don't drop this potential bombshell at the start of the series anyway. You might as well Mm. let it all out of the bag because like this being a talking point now is already doing what Adam Silver didn't want it to do, which Mm -hmm. is take away from the finals itself. So feels kind of like, you know, (laughs) doing the thing you said you didn't want to do anyway, but additional information that's there. So I say this cautiously because I don't know what that information is. The suspensions, whatever it be, 25, 30 games, that's fine. I need something either from the Grizzlies, obviously Ja has to be willing to do it, and from the NBA to help him during this time too. This can't just be 25 to 30 games left to his own devices and expect that something's going to change because it's very clear that he is going through some stuff right now. And I don't like that idea of just, hey, 30-game suspension, do what you will, we'll see you in... December, January, whatever it is. That's the part that worries me, barring whatever this fair amount of additional information is that Silver alluded to. I think that makes sense. I think that it's better to keep your your player in-house if they've done something wrong, right? Like, especially in this instance where it's a horrible decision, but I think you got to feel the the closeness of the organization that's hopefully supporting you, you know? So yeah, I agree with you instead of just being shunned from the squad. And this goes for other instances of wrongdoing or if you violate a, a PED policy, you know what I mean? Like just to be shunned, I, I think that can do more harm than yeah. good. So I'm with you on that. Okay. So you're going... What's your official guess? Twenty yeah, five? Yeah, we'll we'll say we'll say twenty five games. Twenty five. Yeah. Yeah, it could land on that. Eddie, you officially where, where are you throwing your your number in the hat here? I'm going big. I'm going half big. the year. Wow. I'm going half the season. This is the opportunity for Adam Silver and company to set to put their foot down to set a precedent that if this happens again in the future, they're not just going to get a slap on the wrist the first time and then miss, what, like 20% of the season next time? No, you're going to miss half the season because if you cannot keep get yourself in line where, where you need to be mentally, then there's no reason for you to be on the basketball court right now because you obviously are going through some stuff, like Jimmy said, uh, and mentally you need to be in the right headspace. And I think if you do half the season, it allows Ja Morant to get into that headspace. Now, the, the critical part in all of this, of course, is Ja seeking the help that he needs. Yes, he went to rehab the first time this happened, but clearly the rehab didn't work because he... I don't know if you want to call it a relapse or whatever you want, what terminology you want to throw out there with it, but it happened again. So it's something that he has to work on uh, to avoid any more further punishment, even possibly banishment uh, from the NBA. Yeah, and circling back to the initial point, I thought you hit on something uh, important there, Jimmy, which is with Adam Silver, and he said it, he's like, we don't want to announce it right now because we feel it would take away the focus on these two teams in the NBA Finals, and we don't want to do that. So why are you announcing it without announcing it? You know what I mean? It would be better just to say, you know, we're still looking into things. We're dotting our I's. We're crossing our T's. We just want to be very thorough, but something should be upcoming in the not-too-distant future. That would make more sense than to preface it with, we don't want to tell you because we don't want... All the talk shows and TV shows talking about Ja getting suspended for whatever the the number of games is. We want it to be on Jokic, the Nuggets, Butler, the Heat, 
It's just weird that he would say it that way. I get what he was going for, but it was a clunky way to do it. Do you have any idea, or does Adam Silver have any idea how wild it is to have all that about, yeah, we don't want it to distract, and we're going to have it once the finals are over, but then drop maybe unwittingly or not, a bombshell that <laughs> I know. for those that like to rec- recklessly yeah. speculate, which I do, but not yeah. only when it comes to human beings, we uncovered a fair amount of additional information, but let's not distract from the NBA Finals. Yeah. We're not going to tell that? you that till the end of June, but <laughs> hey, don't let it distract because of this additional information, a fair amount of which we uncovered. <laughs> Good Lord. It's, it's one of two things. It's, Liz is a smart dude. Now, smart people do dumb things from time to time, sure. and this could be it. Sure. He could have been doing, saying something that was silly, and he didn't quite think it through. Um, but maybe it's he's that bent. Like, Adam Silver knows what's going on here, and he might be that bent that this happened again. And if you're going, you know, uh, sort of like, uh, you know, uh, cynical over here, it's like he knew what he was saying. And still said it. Uh, it's possible as well. I think he just messed up. I think that he really did want to focus on the nuggets and the heat. And just talking this thing out, he just casually threw in there that, well, we've uncovered additional stuff that you guys don't even know about. And woo, when you find out about this, it's like, bro, how are we supposed to talk about just Jokic and another triple-double? Like, this has got some juice to it now. It's classic lawyer misstep where in Adam Silver's mind, it's simple legal jargon that you would probably throw into a document. Oh, it's just a fair amount of additional information. Probably thought nothing of it. But uh-huh. when you put it in the context of, but we're not going to release that to you until the finals are <laughs> over. It is it is a wild miscalculation of what he probably thought was a very innocent. Yeah, it's just we uncovered a lot of additional information. Sounds like something that you would hear uh, just from an attorney in, in a, a normal civil case versus yeah. here it is with a, a commissioner to him, it's just everyday speak to us masses where we still have to wait till the finals are over to figure out what it is. If it's a misstep, it's fine. To your point, Brian, if it's on purpose, Ooh. it horrifies me for what the additional information <laughs> yeah. is. Well, yeah, what the additional information is and what the punishment will be. Uh, because I think you got to know how minds work. We've got curious minds as sports fans. So if you tell us, man, there's additional stuff. It, well, what? What else did he do wrong? Are there other videos? What else did you uncover? Like, how bad is this suspension going to be based on what else there is? I don't and need when a are teaser we going to find that out? I don't need a teaser trailer for this yeah. situation. I don't, okay? I, I, that's a type of press conference, meeting, taking questions on it. I understand the commissioner's got to do what he's got to do, but in terms of responsibilities and, and answering questions, but to volunteer that and then be like, but again, we don't want to distract I go yeah. back to our original point. <laughs> what are we talking about right now? We're not talking about the masterful performance. We did that earlier, but we're not talking about the masterful performance by the Nuggets. We're talking about this fair amount of additional information that's been uncovered. Yeah, unbelievable right there. Kamish, good Lord. I tell you what, Adam Silver steps in it often. And for some reason, we don't look at him having stuff on his shoes. You know what I mean? Like he does this a lot. And we're just like, eh, whatever. If Goodell did the same thing, it would be open season. We'd be like, what is this moron talking about? And Adam Silver is just like, eh, whatever. It's okay. Uh, Coming up next, J.J. Stankovitz from Colts.com. How many starts for Anthony Richardson? What is he anticipating? You guys, what did you both say? 
Let me see here. I got the official. 14 for Jimmy, 13 for Eddie. I went with 11. What does JJ think? That's on the way. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. What's your favorite Aerosmith song? Don't Stop Believing. <laughs> I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Good Lord, Jimmy. Man, oh man. I'll tell you what. I misspeak from time to time, but... It doesn't always no. get turned into a rejoin, you know what I mean? No. Yeah. Look, I, in, in a way, I feel like I finally made it in infamy. Am I happy about it? No. But, uh, <laughs> hey, you could pick worse ways to be a part of a rejoiner. <laughs> That's true. That's absolutely true. We want to welcome in J.J. Stakovitz, writer at Colts.com, joins us here on The Fan. J.J., how big of an offense would you put it? Let's put a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the worst musical offense that you could have there saying that don't stop believing is an aerosmith song what do you think about that Ooh, i mean it's pretty uh it's pretty woven into uh, american culture that that's journey ah oh boy does it help at all if if with like an eight does it help at all within two and a half seconds i realized the error of my ways and said no that's journey um Yes, I guess. Like, I guess if you just had gone through your entire life thinking it was an Aerosmith song, <laughs> it's not what happened. Just found that, out. That, that's that not. That, that's problem. not what happened. For for the for the matter of context, and I didn't say this at the time, <laughs> but I was trying to think why in the bleep did I think "Don't Stop Believing" was the song by Aerosmith, and where I was looking to go with when Brian asked me, well, "What's your favorite Aerosmith song?" was "Don't Want to Miss a Thing" from Armageddon. But I couldn't come up with it, and in my brain, ah. I was like, oh, it's Don't Stop Believing, and that was not what it was. So, there you go. Well, there you go. I, you know, JJ, I think, uh, last little layer on this, I think it's worse to realize your mistake in two seconds. That just shows how bad of a mistake it was. That'd be like <laughs> saying, hey, hey, who won the Super Bowl last season? And I'm like, oh, uh, the Lions. And I'm like, wait, no, no, it was, uh, it was uh, the Chiefs. You know, if you realize right away, I think it shows it's a worse mistake. No. Uh, well, I mean, that's that's like a recent thing. That would be like, you know, saying like, uh, gosh, like what what's another like universally accepted thing that's widely known. And you're just like, that'd be like saying like, oh yeah, Chicago is in Wisconsin. Oh, wait a minute, Illinois. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I like where you're going with that. Yeah, it is similar to that. Okay, so how about this, JJ? We were just uh, comparing notes about the rookie quarterbacks. How many starts for each of them? If we just hone in on Anthony Richardson, what would be your guess as we sit here on June 2nd? How many starts do you think he gets in the 23 season? I think just based on history, if you look at the history of top five picked quarterbacks in the last, you know, since the uh, since the CBA changed in 2011 to put the rookie wage scale in, I think it's probably more than half the games, mm-hmm. just because that has consistently been what we've seen from top five quarterbacks. The last top five picked quarterback to not start more than half of his team's games as a rookie would be Mahomes. Wow. Um, well, sorry, Mahomes was, a t- but he wasn't a top five pick. Excuse me, Jared Goff was the guy. He started seven games for the Rams in 2016. So, for the most part, these guys are most season or full season starters. Um, yeah, if you expanded a little bit further out to the top ten, I think you would get Mahomes in there. 
uh, you know, Josh Rosen for some other reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just looking at top five pick guys, those guys usually start quite a bit early on. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm guaranteeing that Anthony Richardson is going to start the majority of the Colts games, but I think, again, if you're just looking at history for this right now, which it's way too early to tell how many games Richardson is going to start, I think you say probably more than half. Well, J.J., since we're down this rabbit hole, we might as well continue it. Uh, As we look at the different tea leaves and observations from splitting of reps and who's getting the most time out there with the ones, are we really not going to get a true feel for who has the edge or who has the upper hand until we get into the meat of training camp? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, OTAs, (laughs) I, I really believe this. What you see in OTAs, is rarely predictive to what you're going to see in week one of the regular season. You can see some flashes, but for the most part, what you see in OTAs, like what what we're seeing with the rookies right now, like Richardson, Downs, those guys, it's kind of what we, you know, if you watch the tape, it's kind of what you saw on tape. And you can see those guys making improvements and strides, but in terms of playing time, I don't think it's really in indicative like i've i've covered guys who have dominated otas and then as soon as the pads go on in training camp they kind of wither and they fade into the background i've covered guys who you haven't noticed them in otas and all of a sudden they're not only making the roster but they're starting week one it it can kind of work both ways because otas are not they're not meant for like true head-to-head competition between guys they're meant to get base installs in figure out how these guys need to be coached Uh, And then from there, in training camp, you really start to tailor things to what those guys do best. So if Anthony Richardson fires a a strike to Kylan Granson, you know, like he did last week, and you're like, ooh, that kind of makes you sit up in your seat a little bit, does that mean that those two guys are going to have a great connection this year and it's going to go, you know, for 10 touchdowns between those two guys? You know, maybe, but probably not. You'll probably see something different. Um it's just it, it, these things are just so rarely predictive of what will happen in the regular season because they're not designed to be like heavy preparation for week one, right? Sure, absolutely. He's J.J. Stankovitz of Colts.com. I'm just curious. I love the uh, the thought about the OTA warrior that then fizzled. Can you give us an example of a guy that comes yep. to mind? Yeah, who would it be? Yep. Yeah, well, it's not anyone on the Colts. But uh, if you know the name Adam Shaheen, oh, yeah. who's the second-round pick of the Chicago Bears, it was the first OTAs I ever covered uh, as a, an NFL writer in Chicago. And this guy, he was 6'7", 275, like chiseled from stone. He could run, and he lit up OTAs with the Bears in 2017. And I remember like being assigned a story, hey, do some research on who the best-performing rookie tight ends have ever been because, boy, there's a lot of chatter like Adam Shaheen could break that. And as soon as the pads went on in training camp, you didn't hear from him again. He barely played. And I just that, that one always sticks out in my mind when I think about OTAs and, like, the, the guys who just dominate out there in shorts and helmets, and then when the pads go on and it gets really physical, it is a different game for a lot of guys. How about the opposite, where you would say it's an OTA dud, and then he just he cranked it up, he flourished when the pads were on? I, I mean, I even think back to just some of the, the undrafted rookies we've seen have success here over the last couple of years. You know, last year, like, 
you're watching OTAs and you're not totally watching the cornerbacks, um, you know, maybe outside of some one-on-ones, but you go down the roster and you get, you know, an undrafted free agent against an undrafted free agent. You kind of, you know, look down, you scribble some notes about what you saw previously. Um, I didn't notice Dallas Flowers until training camp. And then I was like, ooh, this guy can run. This guy's got some talent in him. He makes a roster, uh, you know, winds up setting an NFL rookie record for yards per kickoff return. And uh, he, he's a really good player who I think is some upside at cornerback. So I just sometimes you get those undrafted guys, and it's hard to tell how they're doing in OTAs because they're going up against other undrafted guys, guys who may, not, may or may not make the team. And then when training camp rolls around, you start to really notice those guys. JJ, is there a set checklist or a set just internal checklist in your mind as you're evaluating the status of Shaq Leonard and of Jonathan Taylor? More so Leonard because it feels like this year compared to last year, there is more of a sense of patience both from him and the Colts to make sure he doesn't come back too soon? Is, is there a certain checklist that you're monitoring for, okay, this is nice progress and we're getting things along as we get into training camp and as we get into the preseason? Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious answer is it would be awesome to see him out there on the practice field before OTAs and minicamp wrap up, but I am not my level of worry with Shaq Leonard is not going to increase if we do not see him on the field during OTAs or minicamp. And that, that's just because, again, you're talking about taking a cautious approach here. That's what Shaq Leonard needs. That's what he admitted he needs after last season when he said, you know, I rushed back too quickly. I tried to get on the field because I, you know, I wanted to compete with my teammates, and I, it was really hard for him to not play last year. Uh, <laughs> but for him, I really do think training camp is going to be one we're going to really start to know, okay, what's his status? Is he going to be ready for week one? How is he going to look when he does get on the field again? Um, that's when we're really going to know on that. With Jonathan Taylor, I, I don't know. I, I said this on the, the official Colts podcast that we did this week with Matt Taylor and Lara Overton. I was like, guys being in and out of OTAs, to me, that is something that has really never been predictive of week one participation. Like Jonathan Taylor not participating, okay. Does JT really need to participate in OTAs right now? Right. Probably not. So if there's any risk of further injury or a guy not being 100% for training camp by getting him out on the field for OTAs, you hold him out. And if that risk is 1%, you hold him out. So I just I don't read too much into who is and who isn't participating during OTAs. JJ Stankovitz with us. How about this with uh, Anthony Richardson? We were just talking about the chances he starts in week one. Jimmy thinks he will. Eddie Garrison on the show also thinks he will. I would guess no. Where are you on the potential of a rich behind center in week one? Uh, I probably am on the fence. Like you see, you see some of the, just the natural ability, just seeing it out there. The way the ball explodes out of his hand, some of the subtle pocket movement stuff that he did at Florida that we're now seeing him do out on the practice fields here. Like there, there are some there are some transferable skills that I think could lead him to be a, a week one starter in the NFL. But how he picks things up in the offense, uh, how he responds to his mistakes, those are going to be really big factors in determining how quickly he gets on the field and. Again, I just I think it's too early to tell right now. I know that's not a satisfying answer on June first, but it's June first. Mm-hmm. You know, I think by August first, even 
we might start to get a trend line toward it. And that'll be a couple practices into training camp. Like, what's, what's the trend line on this? Um, and then by, you know, I think uh, that week two preseason game against the Bears, I think that's going to be pretty instructive to how the Colts are going to use Anthony Richardson um, and if he is going to start week one or not. I think by then the Colts will have an idea and we can probably discern what that idea will be if they don't just outright tell us. J.J. Stankovic of Colts.com here with us on the Fan Midday Show. J.J., which decision is going to be more difficult for the Colts front office and coaching staff? Figuring out who the presumptive starters will be in three wide receiver sets or figuring out which of the seven tight ends win this contest of who's going to make the team? I think probably the tight ends, just because that wide receiver one comes down to Josh Downs and Isaiah McKenzie in the slot. Um, And those two guys are are different in terms of their skill sets. Like Josh Downs doesn't run the football on, you know, jet sweeps or whatever. Isaiah McKenzie has averaged eight carries a, a year during his career. The tight end thing, that is going to be fascinating. Because, like, I think the one guy who I have to keep reminding myself the team really likes is Drew Ogletree, who we haven't seen on the field since last training camp. Uh, the Colts thought this guy was going to be a star last year. And he he was showing it. When the pads got on, he was the guy who was like, oh, like kind of going back to your earlier question of like a dude who did some things in OTAs and then the pads got on, and you're like, oh, man, like this guy's good. Uh, that was Drew Ogletree last year. How he factors in that room with Mo Cox, Kylan Granson, Jelani Woods, Will Mallory, Pharaoh Brown. You've got guys who have some skins on the wall and who have been higher draft picks uh, for the Colts. It's going to be a really fascinating competition because of those guys, you probably can't keep all of them. You know, <laughs> it's going to be – you don't see a tight end room go six deep very often in the NFL. So – that competition to me, that one for roster spots is going to be the most competitive. For starting spots, I think it's cornerback of, of figuring out how these young corners shake out next to Kenny Moore the second at that position. JJ, it's great to catch up with you, man. Always good. And uh, don't stop believing, I guess. I don't know. Is that how we end it? We could end it the other uh, way. JJ, I don't want to miss a with- thing from your coverage. There we go. <laughs> well, Loving an Elevator by Journey is a great song. So, you know. <laughs> That's absolutely right, man. We'll catch you soon, JJ. Have a good one, man. All right, there he is. Guys. Yep, there he is, JJ Stankovitz, writer at Colts.com. Well played by him. I, yeah, it's a great Journey song. Dude looks like a lady. <laughs> so... I've never look. There's no. There's no winning this, right? Like I own it. It's a massive L. I will wear it now at the end of time. I do take a little bit of solace of figuring out what I meant to say. Yeah. In terms of the Aerosmith song, but it, it's still gonna follow me and haunt me forever, and that's fine. I've accepted it. At least you've done the math and retraced. Like, how did this fire begin? Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you've figured out the oily rag. Not good. Don't want that. You know. So. It's, it's like prevent it, it from happening next time. It's like, you know, to again, this is just where my mind has been in terms of what TikTok is showing me from an algorithm standpoint. It, it's like Kobe back as a rookie airballing all those three pointers. You know, I'm just back <laughs> in the gym 3 a.m. trying to figure out what went wrong. Just getting a bunch of shots up. Okay, now I understand and I can at least be at peace with it. But the highlight will still always be there.
Yeah, no doubt about that. And if you're just joining us, that was, uh, you know, uh, what were we doing? Were we giving tickets away? Or We were, we were giving tickets away. And JMV then, was giving tickets away. JMV and Aerosmith tickets to give away. Uh, and, then, yeah. and then my mind, I don't know where it was, but then all of a sudden I look over to you and you're like, oh, what's your favorite Aerosmith song? And I do what I usually do when I'm on the spot in certain realms outside of the sports world. I panicked and I'm like, oh, what is my favorite Aerosmith song? And I had the, the don't. In my mind, for don't want to miss a thing, that I was like, don't stop believing. And then you looked at me, and I looked at you, and I was like, oh, nope, that's a journey song. That's my fault. And yeah. Now it's a rejoiner. Yeah, yeah, now it is. Now it'll live on in infamy <laughs> over there. Uh, Brian, though, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So uh, a little bit of Colts tidbits over here. And uh, it's interesting, right? Like, if you look at Shaq Leonard and trying to come back too soon, I certainly understand wanting to be there for your guys and trying to push through an injury, but look, sometimes you do more harm than good that way. I'm not taking a shot at the guy. I'm just saying that's the way it works out. So it works like that being a veteran. You know, I think we talk about all these things on the field with when you're young in your NFL career and you're developing, it's adjusting to the speed of the game and it's, oh, you got to adjust to this and you got to look out for that. Like almost all of it is on the field. But I think some stuff off the field, which is just like literally decision-making and some of that, you get wiser with time and you learn your body a little bit more. So I'm not faulting the guy at all. I'm just saying it goes beyond on the field with your, you know, boning up on knowledge to be a a true NFL veteran. And I think that he's getting there. Last season is going to help him going forward of knowing when to push through, when not. It's tricky. Again, I'm not faulting him. It is tough. I'll speak, you know, I never played in the NFL, but I've had five surgeries on random injuries, and one was an ACL. And it's hard. It's hard to know. Can I push it now? Can I not? Like when you're just trying to break up the stiffness of an injury and I didn't think I was going to be able to like ride a bike again. It was so stiff. You couldn't go around one time. I would go as far up as I could. And then that's as far I'd go as far down as I could. That's as far. You don't know if your body's ever going to be right again. So it's a real difficult thing to figure out when to push it, when not. But I think Shaq Leonard is wiser going through what he did last year. He's owned up to it. He's been public about it that he feels like he rushed too quickly last year, and that's what you would expect from a veteran. He's no longer a rookie. He's not in this awkward like year two or year three window anymore. This is going to be his fifth year in the National Football League, and you would expect that level of self-awareness, but also understanding the importance of what you bring to the team to know that we're going to be cautious with it this time. The other issue that we ran into a lot last year was there was expectations set inadvertently by the Colts where it seemed like he might be coming along better than he actually was and then he didn't come back right away and then when they finally brought him back it was shut down relatively quickly and it turned to a whole mess I like this idea of being cautious of him being fully aware of where he's at and again you just hope for how it benefits the Colts moving forward because they are even though they were a solid defense without him for most of the year last year They're on another level in terms of the way they can change the game, whether it's in the turnover margins or just be more physical as a defensive unit when he's out there. Anything they want to achieve this year on the defensive end is given a massive boost whenever he returns. It was really interesting, too, because you were with James Boyd yesterday of The Athletic, and James did this great piece on Zaire Franklin 
Colts linebacker. And it ties to Shaq Leonard's injury last year. Shaq Leonard was hurt, and Zaire Franklin got a chance. And he made the most of it. He turned out to be the franchise leader in single-season tackles. Like, he broke Shaq Leonard's single-season tackles record. And it was a really interesting read, and it went into it, Jimmy, where it talked about Zaire Franklin losing his mom and his grandmother when he was a junior in high school. This goes back to 2013, about a decade ago. But think about this. These are the two people closest in his life, and he lost them 77 days apart from one another. And then he ends up, like, his football coach is one of the guys that's in his close, close inner circle. And uh, he, he ends up going to Syracuse. This football coach was very, very fond of Syracuse, and that had a little bit to do with it. Zaire goes there. He plays great. He gets a chance with the Colts. Now think about this. Shaq Leonard was a second-round pick in 2018, and Zaire was a seventh-round pick in the same draft. So Shaq Leonard's 36th overall. Zaire Franklin was 235th <laughs> overall. And so last year, when Shaq Leonard was banged up and missed a lot of action, that was Zaire Franklin's chance. And it just taught me something, Jimmy, where it was like, I have this tendency to look at the Colts as a whole, or any team as a whole that has a terrible season. The Colts were 4-12-1. and and I largely go by that disappointing year, down year, didn't sniff the playoffs, that ah, sucked, yada, yada. But 2022 for Zaire Franklin was a massive year for the yeah. guy. He got a chance as a seventh-round pick, and it's now the single-season leader in tackles for the Colts franchise. Like That's monstrous for him, especially when we consider all the other things that he fought through. So hats off to Zaire, and it taught me something where it's like, don't just overlook some of the individual stories and the growth that could lead to more team success going forward. There was great individuals growth for Zaire Franklin last year, no doubt. And that's the level of breakdown that you're going to find for those who are within front offices around the league, who from a, a, a casual or from those that are in the national media covering things, perhaps you would, like you mentioned, gloss over what a four twelve and one campaign showed by a team's perspective, but when you break it down, you're looking for value within the margins, whether it's a player that's still under contract or a player that's going to be a free agent. You want to know how they did individually, how they could benefit your team. And even though this isn't a situation where he was poached by anybody, the fact that he's still in-house for the Colts, that he was able to get his opportunity and seize that moment makes it very fascinating, the idea that you could have both Zaire Franklin and Shaq Leonard out there, both in theory, being at the height of where they want to be as NFL players. And it, it makes this defense, again, it all goes back to the continuity that bringing Gus Bradley back and not having to have a massive learning curve for everybody on that defense. It makes them potent enough to the point that, while I'm still not changing how I think the season goes for them, it makes people look at the softness of this schedule and think, you know what? They could potentially make some noise if they wanted to if everything plays out the right way. And on defense, that's never been the issue. It gets a little bit better next year or this year with Zaire Franklin's dominance from a year ago and Shaq Leonard hopefully coming back off the mend. Yeah, it was, uh, listen, no Colts fan would have said, oh yeah, I'll sign up for a 4-12 in one season <laughs> right. right away. But there are some things that can lead to more success going forward. And Zaire Franklin getting a lot of action last year, that will help the Colts this season. 
Like There is a little bit of a silver lining right there. And I think anybody who has half a brain gets it. I'm not throwing up the pom-poms like, 4, 12, and 1, 4, 12, and 1. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there are some good things that come from a challenging season like that that can lead to better things going forward. That's all. Uh, and Zaire Franklin is one of those. Um, coming up next, what in the world is college football doing? And... Well, college football is doing something that it'd be interesting if the NFL mimicked. We'll have both of those stories for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Okay, let's get the nasty stuff out of the way. What is college football doing? It's another chapter over here, Jimmy, where they released the week one schedule, okay? And this is on ESPN and ABC and some of these games. It's going to be like a five-day ball smorgasbord, okay? So it starts on Thursday, August 31st. Now, you tell me how interested you are in some of these matchups, okay? Give me a scale from one to ten. Okay, so the first one, not terrible. Florida at Utah. That's on Thursday night, August 31st. Think about it. You're going to be jonesing for some football. Of course, I'm going to be watching some Kyle Whittingham in Florida. And yeah, give me that game. I'll say it, you know, seven. Not bad. Yeah, that's what I was going to give it at. Yep, right at seven. Get Cam Rising out there. Okay, now Friday, Louisville at Georgia Tech. That's in Atlanta. Woo! Three. That is. Freaking terrible. Yeah. It's an awful matchup. I like your rating right there. Okay, now stop me if any of these matchups do it for you. This is Saturday, September 2nd. What should the do it be? Above a six? Is that stop worthy? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put it lower. Like above a four. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Virginia, Tennessee. Arkansas State, Oklahoma. Boise State, Washington. That could be a good one. That, that, where's it, it at? It could be all right. It's at Washington. Okay. Didn't cross the threshold for me. No. <laughs> didn't get there. UMass at Auburn. New Mexico at Texas A&M. North Carolina at South Carolina. That's not terrible. That's in Charlotte. That, that's, a, that's a good one for okay. me. That's sure. pretty good. You, right? got, that's at you least... got Drake, Maine, Spencer, yeah. Rattler. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That's, a, that's over a four for sure. Oh, and then oh, uh, the nightcap. Coastal Carolina. Yes. At UCLA. <laughs> Mm, Don't sleep on Coastal. They're always good. Yeah. It's a barn burner in the the making right there. Fighting Tyler Thigpins. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. It's a former, deep cut. Former, former Chiefs guy former right Chief, there. Former, former Chief Dolphins Tyler guy for a second. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, now this again, this is just ABC ESPN. So this is not the full slate. But these are important. The, the Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Monday nights, right? Because those are special days. The full slate of Saturday games on September 2nd, there will be some good games. But now we get to the primetime matchup. So Sunday, September 3rd, not bad. LSU against Florida State. That's in Orlando. It's a very good ending last year. Some drama with the missed extra point and all of that. 
I'm fine with that. I'd put that actually at a I'd put that about a seven. I'll be yep. completely ready for that yep. game. Seven or eight for me for sure. Yep. Now how about this? Monday, September fourth. The big five day ball escapade is coming to an end over here. All right, we need a crescendo. Let's go with Clemson at Duke. What? <laughs> Why? What you know? It takes two to tango, and I like the way you set that up because I got excited for just a second, and then I was like, "Yeah, mm. that that might that could maybe get a uh, a screen somewhere in the house, but it's definitely not appointment television." Can no. I raise you one here? Sure. What do you have? So Saturday night, September 9th at seven thirty uh-huh. on Peacock, you've got Charlotte and Maryland. Yes. Wow. That's yes. uh, and that's on NBC. Big Ten Saturday night. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love those matchups where I was thinking about getting Peacock for the NFL wild card game, but this matchup is the clincher. I absolutely got to get Peacock for the, what was that again, Eddie? What was the star-studded matchup? Oh, you've got Charlotte at Maryland, Delaware at Penn State. Oh gosh. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. East yeah. Carolina at Michigan. Yeah. Those are all Peacock games? Yeah. All of them are. Wow. No kidding. That's crazy. Uh, Okay. How about this? Brian Noe and Jimmy Cook with you here on The Fan. So you probably heard about this. The SEC. I'm going to bring it back to the NFL in a second. But the SEC, what they're going to do next year, they're going to have eight conference games. This is a big, big talking point. Will the SEC move to nine conference games? They're not going to do it. In 2024, next year, that's when they'll have Texas and Oklahoma. They'll have 16 teams. Now, they might explore options for 2025 to move it to nine conference games. So the way it stands right now, when you have these eight conference games, you have one permanent rival and then seven rotating opponents. So it's like, okay, once Texas and Oklahoma are there, there are 16 teams. So if you go to nine conference games, you would then have three permanent rivals. And then every two years, you would play the remaining 12 teams. That seems to make a lot more sense. It lines up more. I'll I'll put it this way, Jimmy. From a fan standpoint, give me nine conference games all day. From an SEC standpoint, though, they're looking at this and saying, okay, cool, so half the conference is guaranteed a loss? Like, how... How is that good for us? So I can totally understand how they are thinking of them. But I think you have to think beyond yourself at some point, And this would be it. Well, you got to give the people what they want. We don't want Alabama playing, you know, the Citadel. We want Alabama playing Tennessee or LSU in addition to Auburn. As it stands right now, they would just play Auburn and there would be years they wouldn't play their other rivals. You can't have that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a certain level of, I don't even want to call it fan service, but an expectation for what you're going to get out of the SEC and taking those matchups off the table or not having them present is, I mean, it just, it would defy, I don't want to say it would fully take away my interest or love for SEC football, but it would it would hamper it a bit for sure. Now think about this, Jimmy, is it got me thinking because the SEC, they're going to be doing away with divisions next year. No more divisions in 2024. What if the NFL did that? Would you sign up for that? Think about this. Think about all the talk that you used to hear about. Oh, Tom Brady, he's just beating up on the AFC East. There's some truth to that. 
a lot of Tom Brady haters took that way too far. They're they're destroying teams in the playoffs and winning Super Bowls in neutral site stadiums. You know what I mean? Like if they were just a byproduct of the AFC East, they would have gotten rocked in the playoffs and that didn't happen. So anyway, but the point is, there's a lot of griping. Oh, they just beat up on the AFC. There's a deeper conversation there, to be clear. I'm not taking away from your Ooh. point, but home field advantage is the real thing, too. Like, I'm not going to say it's Brady, but like the same reason that you point to, and it hasn't happened yet because the AFC East now has responded. There was real fear, at least from a Chiefs fan over here. I'm sure Bengals fans feel the same way that Buffalo is going to get that same treatment. They're going to lock up the one seed every year. That has not been the case, which to your point shows the dominance of New England. I'm just saying it even is more paramount now when there's only one first round buy. The, the type of thought that, oh, well, they have an easy division. They're guaranteed to sweep their division every year, right? Now, like that, that, that could be a major factor in terms of the way buys are given out. Here's a counter to your counter. Okay. And we'll get back on the road for a second. Sure. Sorry for okay. derailing it. No, 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 no. You're good. It's all good. Uh, home field doesn't guarantee jack, okay? We've seen many times. We just saw it. We saw it where Buffalo got punked in the snow last postseason against Cincinnati. Tennessee Cincinnati was the goes weakest one seed I've ever seen in my life. Like, okay, you're correct. Tennessee you're correct. Got, sure. got punked. Sure. The, both one seeds went down. Correct. Tennessee last, well, I two guess years ago. two yep. years ago. Yep. They lost at home to Cincy, and then also Green Bay lost to the 49ers. I can think about your Jimmy Cook Chiefs losing in the AFC title game to Tom Brady and the Patriots going on the road and getting it done. Why, D Ford? Why? Why? I, you had it. Just don't jump off sides. Game, set, match. But, but you know, the it, like again, even if you're getting home playoff games, that's good. It's an advantage. It's not the ultimate advantage Correct. where it guarantees you win. You still have to have a really good team to be able to pay it off in the end. Sure. Yeah. Yes. And like six division games. That's a portion of your overall schedule. Like the Patriots' record outside of their division was actually as good, if not better, than their record inside the division. So that whole AFC East thing went way sure. too far. But look at it from the Colts' standpoint. Let's just say we do AFC, NFC, no divisions. Would you prefer that instead of you've got four teams in each division? I like the way it's set up. But I guarantee you there'd be some people, depending on what fan you are and what division you're in, that would say, absolutely, scrap these divisions like the SEC is yeah. going to do next year. Yeah, that, 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 that's the key point of all of this, is there are definitely teams that exist where you feel like there's no real tradition or legacy within this division that's you know north of 50 or 60 years. Why would we even mess with having them? Let's get rid of them all together. If you're in a division like the NFC East, if you're in a division like the AFC West, like the AFC East, there's enough there where if I'm a fan of one of those teams, which I am, I would push back on it because there, there's legitimate tradition and rivalries there. I get it. Like there is some bad blood between the Colts and the Titans. There has been over the years, but it, I don't get, the, I've never gotten that same pulse of it matters. There's tradition and legacy in the AFC South that I would ever for the NFC East or the AFC West, for example. Yeah, I mean, I like how it's set up. I love that you know, since it's I think it was 2002 you had realignment yep. where you get the, you know, the four divisions of four teams in each conference. I like that. I think it sets up very nicely. Um but hey, listen, um would they ever just scrap divisions and just go 
with two conferences? Maybe. The only way I can get on board with them ever scrapping divisions, because the only thing that divisions really matter for right now is because there's something tangible tied to it, which is that you would get a home playoff game if you're able to win your division. If they ever, which they've talked about in the past, go that route, then divisions don't really matter to me anymore because they are just a a superfluous trophy that you're handing out that don't really impact anything over the course of the rest of the season. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because I don't think winning your division should guarantee you a home playoff game. If it guarantees you a playoff spot, great. I think that should be your reward. But I don't think you should get the cherry on top. And that's just that's like cherries, whipped cream, sprinkles. That, that's a lot going on as a reward to get a home playoff game. You could be, you know, eight and nine. Yep. Like Tampa last year and get a home playoff game against Dallas, who's 12 and five. That makes no sense. Zero sense. But that would be a step in the direction of eliminating divisions. I think it's case by case. I'd love to see Philly and Dallas twice a year. But if, you know, instead of Colts, um, I don't know, Colts, Jags or Colts, Titans twice a year, you get the Colts playing, uh, I don't know, some random team from the AFC West. I don't think that's all bad. It really just depends on it's case by case right there. I would say no. You team no, don't eliminate them or eliminate divisions. Yeah, Where do you stand on that? I'm, I'm team no. Do not team eliminate no. divisions. Yeah. yeah. Team no. There it is. All right. Coming up next, uh, we get to, uh, <laughs> uh, we get to uh, the name of your car and uh, also a bet that I'm betting Jimmy Cook is not going to be making here. We'll get to both of those stories. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So I'm going to go out on a limb here, Jimmy, and guess that you will not be making this bet. Very, very popular on BetMGM. (laughs) The most popular bet for week one in the NFL regular season, the Lions plus six and a half at the Kansas City Chiefs. How are you going to run in and bet on Jared Goff and company over there, Jimmy? I will not be placing that bet. However, Uh I will not be betting the other side either because if you've watched the Kansas City Chiefs at all the last two years, they are not a team that cover the spread. So I wouldn't blame anybody for betting that. Um, That makes sense why it's a popular pick. That's just, I don't know the trends in front of me, but the Chiefs are not a team that cover. Don't blame bettors for that being the most popular pick to this point for week one. Yeah, they were not great at covering the spread last year at all. No. Horrendous, they, in fact. Yeah. It was around like 5 and 12, yeah. maybe in the ballpark of that. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Not, not great. Very, not great. Not great. 
So uh, and results all that matter as long as you win, right? Uh, most of my live bets on the Chiefs were on the money line because that's where I trusted them the most. But uh, yeah, not not so much on, on the spread with Kansas City for whatever reason. That might have been a decent bulk of your overall winnings. Oh, it always for last is. year. It always right? is. But yeah. much like much like the happiness of my sports fandom when it comes to football or done whenever Mahomes hangs it up, so too likely will be my betting fortunes in terms of if I'm placing wagers on the Chiefs. Man, no doubt. Now, how about this? Now, you've talked about the story with Robin Matthews. So she's the lady whose car got hit at the Indy 500 this year. You had the flying, possessed, psychotic tire flying over a 40-foot-tall catch fence from Kyle Kirkwood's car. It hit her Chevy Cruze and dented it up all to hell, right? And so she had a great attitude. She's just like, thankfully, nobody's hurt. I'm not expecting anything. And so she got to kiss the bricks, and then she got a ride home (laughs) when the Indy 500 was done. Now it turns out she's getting a car. She's getting a free car out of the deal, which is absolutely the right thing to do. You got to get her some wheels. She can't just go to a race and just shrug her shoulders and be like, yeah, you know, I guess I have a $1,500 bill or whatever it is. No biggie. You know, no, you got to do right by her, and I'm glad that they are. As did I. Look, like any time... Regardless of, of what it is, but in this scenario, anytime something out of your control, completely out of your control, wrecks your vehicle, wrecks a possession of yours, when you're just going to be a part of one of the greatest sporting events on the calendar, this should have a happy ending to the story. I'm very glad that this is how it inevitably ended up reaching its conclusion. Yes, and it's from Penske Entertainment. They intend to provide Matthews with a new car. I'm dying to know which car they provide her with. You know, are we talking Lamborghini over here? Are we, t- are we talking like a, a 1989 Geo Tracker? Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I'm curious. Now, this also, she said this at the end. She did an interview here, Jimmy. She was with, um, um, let's see, WTHR 13 News locally. So this is after the race, and this is uh, one of her comments. Listen closely to the end, though. Somebody from another suite's like, Robin, uh, it was your car. And I'm like, shut up. You know, because I didn't believe him. He's a jokester. And he's like, it's your car. And he showed me a picture. I'm like, immediately my stomach dropped, and I was shaking, just just anxious and nervous, you know, just scared. Not just thankful that nobody got hurt, you know. And um, my car's name is Snowball. And she took one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, the first part is, can you imagine your jokester friend saying, hey, your car got hit? And you're like, shut up, dude. No, it did. No, it did. It really actually did. And the last part of it, she said that her car's name is Snowball. It's a white Chevy Cruze. And so she nicknamed it Snowball. And I'm just curious, Jimmy, have you nicknamed your cars throughout the years? Ne- never been never on a creative level like that right? never like not n- not not to that point wow i'm surprised you don't eddie garrison have you nicknamed your cars over the years negative no ne- are you serious negative ghost rider the paddock is full wow <laughs> what about you yeah i've nicknamed a couple of them so my first car it was a ford escort it was nicknamed the friend because I would just let my friends borrow the car. <laughs> we had two different lunches. This is uh, LaSalle High School shout out in uh, South Bend, Indiana. And so we had two different lunch periods. So if I had the first period, 
like a, a friend of mine be like, hey, man, can I borrow the friend? And I'd just be like, yeah, here you go. And i just hand him the key. It was just one singular key. I'd be like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's always like a community car. And then I had a Nissan Altima. My nephews were young. And they were like, what are you going to name your car? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, you should name it uh, something cool, like football. <laughs> I was like, it's a great, great suggestion. It's, that's probably a better name. So they came up with the Black Bullet, which was a great name for that car. That's top shelf right there. That's awesome. Yeah, they did a great job with that. And then, well, that one got totaled. I got put into the fence by a psychotic trucker. Story for another day. But uh, I have another Nissan Altima, and it's like it's it says on it like the Midnight series. It's just like all black, and so I I went simple. I just call it Midnight. It's, it's right there on the car. You sure. know what, Why would I nickname why it something else? reinvent the wheel? I understand. Yeah. You got to get in the business of nicknaming your cars over here, guys. Yeah, usually it's been as simple as just throwing a Y on the end. Like my wife has a Jeep; she's called a Jeepy before. Like it's not, <laughs> no, nothing, nothing ever, nothing ever clever, right? It's just add a Y. I had a Honda Civic for a while. It's Civy, like that. Just yeah, Civy. Yeah, like nothing, nothing, uh, nothing. Uh, Straight up, just awesome! Like the Black Bullet. That's 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 top shelf right there. That really great. Is. You uh, can name yours out. the Red Rocket. I could. You're right. Yep. That's not bad. Or Red Rockety. Yep. I don't know if you have you tied to the Y. Sure. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. I my dad. He uh, he's had he's on Abigail seventeen. I think he's up. He's always nicknamed his truck Abigail, and so I think he's on the seventeenth. Uh, iteration of Abigail right now, I believe is the case. So I need some names out of you guys going forward. You know, it's a way more, uh, it's way, way happier. What are you driving right now, Eddie? What are you, what are you getting down with? Are you asking me what kind of car I have? Yeah, yeah. What are you, what are you rocking right there? Uh, I've got a Chevy Malibu. There you go. I had a Chevy Malibu one time. I called it. Guess what I called it? This is the worst nickname I had. Rum. No, I. <laughs> Captain Morgan. No. <laughs> No, no, none of those. It's very simplistic. This is kind of like Jimmy putting a Y at the end of his car. I just called it my boo. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's, that's all it was. All right, we got Tony East talking some Pacers around the corner. A lot to dive into with him and a little bit of the NBA Finals as well. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No. Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Let's talk some hoops, shall we? Tony East is with us. Covers the Pacers for Forbes Sports, Locked on Pacers, and Sports Illustrated. Uh, are you all things NBA Finals right now, Tony? You into this thing? The Finals, the draft, it's all happening at the same time. It's June. It's uh, maybe the most fun month of the NBA calendar. I could, I could be convinced it's May. You think we're going to get some drama here at all in the NBA Finals? Man, I don't know. I keep hearing all these these people talking about how you know the Heat can play better. They created all these good shots and didn't make them. But I had the, the Nuggets shot better or worse from three than the Heat. Like the Nuggets have a lot of room for improvement too. Jokic wasn't even like that dominant. I don't know. I feel like this could be a a quick series. 
I need to derail this conversation for just a second. Tony, you and I have never played together, but among your many posts that you make, whether it's with the Fever, whether it's with the Pacers, whether it's the NBA at large, every now and again, we'll get a highlight from the popular video game Rocket League from your mix on Twitter. Um, For those that don't know, and I'm assuming Brian's in the camp of does not know, there's a ranking system from unranked all the way to supersonic legend. And the second rank before that is a rank called Grand Champion. I'm just a mere diamond here. I didn't realize that was the type of circles you were running in from the Rocket League standpoint, Tony. That's insane. What is happening? Are we really talking about this? On yeah, the- we are. No, we absolutely are. Because Eddie <laughs> mentioned that, and I was so baffled by it, where I was like, oh, look, Tony, a fellow sports guy, plays video games. Hey, we're among the same. No, we're not. We're not in the same circles. You're in an entirely different stratosphere. <laughs> uh, yeah, I probably play a little too much. I had that, that little time between WNBA training camp and the Pacer season to – to hit the sticks a little bit, you know. I had to take advantage of it. <laughs> okay. All right, back to the finals. Then I, I apologize for derailing it, but I, I needed to to have that resolved for just a second. Because Brian and I were discussing this earlier. Tony East joins us, covers the Pacers and the NBA at large for Forbes and for Sports Illustrated, as well as the WNBA. Brian was mentioning that, that there's a pathway for Miami to make this interesting, but we both still think it's going to end up being Denver in likely five, six games. Do you see a similar standpoint where, yeah, they could make this interesting and make some noise if, I don't know, Jimmy Butler finds himself again? <laughs> yeah, that was the weirdest thing, right, that Jimmy Butler was not not with the Jimmy we've seen in the playoffs. It's weird because, obviously, he was amazing against the Bucks. a big reason that upset happened. But, you know, Caleb Martin was just as good against the Celtics. Like, nobody was dominant, dominant against the Knicks. Jimmy's been amazing, but... A lot of the narrative about his postseason kind of propped up by the first round. That's not to dump on him. He's been incredible. The Heat are in the finals for a reason, but he's got to be better than 13-7-7 if they want any chance of winning because, you know, you look at the score, like, they lost by, what was it, 12-11? Like, that seems close, but you guys watched it. It never felt like the game was even kind of that close in the second half. I mean, the Nuggets just ran away with this game, and they shot terribly from from three despite that happening. Jokic was just a ho-hum, 27-point triple-double. It felt like he could play better. Like, Bam was great for the Heat, of course. They'll need that to repeat, but they're going to need a lot more because I think the Nuggets have just as much room to grow as the Heat, and I think that starts with Butler. But even Martin, who was amazing in the conference finals, only three points, that's not going to cut it. Zero for Max Struess. I mean, obviously those guys weren't making shots, but they need a lot, a lot more to keep up because the Nuggets made it look so easy last night. He's Tony East joining us here on The Fan. What's your explanation for this? Because you go back to the previous series where Jimmy was largely good, sometimes excellent against the Celtics, but I think it was game six. Stan Van Gundy pointed it out. He's like, he looks intimidated tonight. And then last night, as you were talking about, he scores 13 points, and his role players couldn't hit shots. Like I don't know why he's deferring to guys that aren't getting it done. I know he li- likes to get his teammates involved, but when you're filing for the Hemi Buckets trademark <laughs> and your teammates are struggling, what's your theory as to why he doesn't take over sometimes in those instances? Yeah, it's funny that the the him phrasing got that high up that it's being trademarked. I, it's a good question, right? It's not even like... The Celtics obviously were sending more attention his way, but it's not like it was like hard double teams or anything. And, you know, I think that seeing Martin do well last round and Vincent and Struess, like he figured out that he doesn't have to be dominant all the time or really forcing his own shot. That's not really the player he's ever been. And 
uh, he couldn't really do that against the Nuggets either, and it, it, it hurt that a lot of those guys that were so good earlier in the postseason, outside of Haywood Highsmith, who was <laughs> their second leading scorer, I think. I mean, we just weren't doing anything. It made it a lot harder for him. And the other thing is, the Nuggets are a really good team at playing without fouling. I think that that's kind of been a talked about storyline. Only two free throws for the Heat in the whole game, which is crazy to look at. But, you know, if he's going to be a guy who's living at the line and gets zero free throw attempts, their whole team got zero free throw attempts, like a lot of his impact is going to have to be creating his own shot or creating shots for his team. And he led them in assists, sure, but he's got to be more forceful with his own scoring. I mean, he's a minus 17. They got smoked in his minutes. They've got to figure out how to get him going and how he can get the heat going because if he can't be at the line as much, if he's not going to be the the Hemi Butler that he has self-described himself as, they're going to need more from guys who you can't reasonably expect more from. So he's just got to be better in, in many ways. Tony, I'm right there with you in terms of Miami's offense potentially not being able to find itself in such a way that will make this a high-level competitive series. I do think, and this is what's been the main catalyst for the Heat the entirety of this run, their defense could be able to make things interesting on that front. But even where there were windows where it looked close, but you're right, it never really felt close yesterday. They still allowed Denver to shoot 50% from the field. They committed 15 personal fouls as a team. What went wrong in your mind defensively for Miami? And is this just a matter of Denver's a buzzsaw and there's not a lot of options here for the Heat? Or can we expect some type of return to form or or leveling up from Miami as the series progresses? Yeah, 62% on twos the Nuggets were in this first game. And they didn't shoot very well from three. It's interesting looking at the Heat. Like Spolstra, a fantastic coach. Obviously, he's been well acclaimed for what they've been doing in this postseason. But... You know, it's harder to do what he's really good at, which is like mix and matching your schemes and matching your lineups to what you know style you're going to play at a given time when you can't go zone as much against Denver because Jokic, who can shoot threes and pass it to anybody and just break your entire defense, can do exactly that. Like one of their most successful stretches last night, early in that fourth quarter, I think they got it like 10 or 9. It was, was like a Haywood Highsmith at the top of a 3-2 zone guarding Jokic and for a hot second it worked, they got it closer, like I just said, and then the Nuggets just immediately figured it out and scored. It's like, if you can't turn to those tricky little zones as much as you have in past series, it's going to be really hard for them to figure out exactly what they can do better defensively. Like, Michael Porter, Jamal Murray combined four for 18 from three. That's not, that might not happen again the whole series. So, Denver, I, or excuse me, Miami, I don't know what the, the answer is going to be defensively. Like, Jokic has just kind of busted everything that's come his way. This whole postseason, Anthony Davis couldn't do anything. The Suns couldn't do anything. So Spolster is the guy who's creative enough to figure it out. Maybe it's more multi-big lineups or something to, to, to both give him two men on him and see size. I don't know because he just tore up everything they did. And the fact that they can't turn to zone as much when Jokic is in the game kind of hinders the creativity that they've had this whole postseason. I was thinking about this, too, because this is the first time an eight seed has been in the finals since the 99 Pacers were there. And so Miami, they could well be on their way to getting smoked in the finals here. So what would make you feel worse if you're Boston? You know, is it that the team that beat you goes on to win it all and you think, man, we could have won it all? Or is it getting beaten by a team who goes on to get smoked? And that's what happened to the Pacers. Like, they lost to the eight-seeded Knicks, and the Knicks go on and they get boat raced by San Antonio. 
And I don't know, would, would it make you feel better or worse if the Knicks went on to win a championship and you could say, well, at least we won to a team that won it all? Or do you look and say, we missed our chance, we could have won it all, which makes you feel worse in that instance? Yeah, a lot of teams in the East are going to feel bad if he get boat raced in this final, right? Like the Bucks have to feel just like, they probably felt better at first seeing them go through the whole East. But man, if they get run in the finals like this, I mean, no one in the East is going to feel good. I was actually looking back at this 99 finals. The Knicks did not score 90 points in a single game that wow. finals, right? They, they just got run over by the Spurs that year. And the Heat, I think, are better comparatively than that. Like, they had a really interesting year because two seasons ago, they made the conference finals. They lost to the Celtics in seven, obviously, but they were a really good shooting team and their defense was awesome. And their shooting went away this year. And then the postseason, it returned, right? So they looked more like the team they were two years ago that was at least close to this level. So, like, I, I, obviously they were an eight seed for a reason. They only won 44 games, but they're a lot better team, I think, than their record kind of suggests. So I don't think you can be, like, too embarrassed if you're any of these teams. I mean, the Celtics were just one game from the finals with, like, a rookie coach and a lot of changes this year. It's not – they were in the finals two years ago. I don't think they specifically should feel too bad about this. But, you know, the other teams that just got – I mean, the, the Knicks and Bucks looked hopeless against these guys. And now that he'd have no chance against the Nuggets, I mean, maybe it just speaks volumes about how good Denver is and – how good Jokic truly is in this postseason that no matter what competition's in their way, they, they don't lose at home. They just take care of business. Their system doesn't look flashy or complicated, but it's just better than whoever they're playing. So maybe it's more on Denver, but Miami's certainly an interesting eight seed right now. Tony, for years during the height of the Warriors dynasty, before it was Kevin Durant, when the roster was built around them executing at an extremely high level in the draft, I wanted to point and say, well, there's your blueprint if you're a small market team. All you need to do is be efficient in the front office in the draft. But the pushback to that would be, A, they got very, very lucky with Steph Curry. And B, it is Golden State. It's still a major market. People are going to want to come play there. With Denver, I feel like that's closer again, where if you're a team like the Pacers or a team that is on the outside looking in that knows they need to do very well in the draft to contend for a title someday – Denver is a team you can look at. Is Denver closer because of they're not quite the major market that a L.A. or New York or a Boston or Golden State is? Or is it still, well, yeah, they built things the right way in the draft, but they got really lucky with Jokic, so that's not a proven science for being successful if you're a smaller market team? Some of both. Like, if you want to just compare it to the Pacers, you know, Halliburton at 12, 11, wherever he went, they didn't actually pick him. Of course the Kings did, but you know, like getting a stud that late is still really important and getting a young player you can have for years because of restricted free agency is really important. Even if it's at 41 during a Taco Bell commercial, like Jokic or <laughs> however you end up getting Halliburton early in his career. But I mean, looking at Denver last night, only two of the eight guys they played, they signed to a contract, right? And that Bruce Brown and Jeff Green, who aren't even like, you know, any, franchise even small market teams would have a chance at those guys the other six they either drafted or traded for using their own picks or using their successful veterans so yeah if you're a team like the Pacers of course the the best blueprint you could possibly have to win a championship is draft the best player on the planet with the 41st overall pick whatever but in general you nail your picks and you get guys who fit together via the draft all of a sudden you're you're it's easier to sign guys who want to come play and fill, fill a role there like Bruce Brown like Jeff Green uh, it's easier to, you know, just sign like a, or excuse me, draft a defensive specialist like Christian Brown and say go play defense for eight minutes in the finals game, and he was great for a rookie in the finals. And 
all of a sudden you know exactly what vets you need. Oh, look, KCP's available. Let's get him. Oh, look, Aaron Gordon's available. Like They just kind of did it perfectly to me where you get the star, you figure out what you need around him, you get those pieces, and then you play, and they did it. And they've been a powerhouse for a while, and this year they finally have all the right pieces with the Brown addition, with Murray healthy to, to kind of KCP addition to put it all together. So I think this is the most copyable strategy for small market teams, even though obviously – the, the specifics of where they got Jokic are not repeatable, but just in general, getting a star in the draft is is step one, and then figuring out everything else, the resources you have, they've done a great job of that. I thought the Pacers would just draft Zach Eady, and he morphs into Jokic, <laughs> no? Uh, you know, I think Edie's, uh maybe not quite the NBA talent that Jokic is, but uh, he's got another couple years at Purdue to maybe grow his game a little bit and prove that, I suppose. No, I hear you, man. How about this with uh, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, talking about the looming John Morant suspension? Uh, first off, how long do you think it's going to be? And what do you make of the, make of the commission saying, we're not going to announce it now out of respect to the finals teams, but we've uncovered a fair amount of additional information and just like, what? It, what well, how do you think he handled that? Yeah, I think that that sort of signal that's either going to be an extreme punishment or a light punishment, not just like some run-of-the-mill expected thing, if it's going to be delayed timing-wise on purpose. Like Mike Golick Jr. put it perfectly. He tweeted that this is like when your parents text you, call me, instead of just calling you, right? Like that's the perfect way of describing what's actually happening here. They're like, hey, Josh, we're this is coming at some point. I think it has to be really serious for a million reasons, liability, precedent, safety of John Morant and the people around him. I mean, it has. I think it's going to be pretty – significant i don't have like a great guess of actual games in my head 25 30 that almost seems too light but it seems like it has to be pretty serious the first one whatever they they said it was eight but it was only like two because he already had missed six like that that was not enough obviously so i think they have to be way more serious this time the grizzlies already suspended him immediately right the day it happened so they they obviously had enough information to make that call so yeah i think i think it's going to be pretty significant one of the longest suspensions for an nba player like of my entire life uh and you know, Silver's kind of had this rep of soft on players at first, but a repeat offender here, I think it's going to be pretty significant, especially given the way he kind of handled it yesterday. What do you envision the cost would be if the Pacers were intrigued by Brandon Miller, Anthony Black, or Cam Whitmore, if they were wanting to try to move up a couple of spots? What type of... Obviously, we're, we're speculating at that point, but is it draft capital? Is it having to move some roster spots? Where, where do you envision a pathway if the Pacers decide, you know what, we like what's available in that three to five range? Yeah, three. I think three specifically, given how the guys who really know the draft, right, your ESPNers, your Wasserman, Vecinis, the guys who really know it are talking about how NBA teams have this cutoff after Miller. Now, that's going to be a more significant trade than, you know, four, five, sixes for Whitmore, one of the Thompsons, whoever they, they may like. And uh, getting up to three, it, it would be pretty expensive. Seven would obviously have to be in there. I'm assuming several more picks would have to be in there. Likely a pretty dang good player, too. I mean, when there's tiers like this, the end of a tier is just really hard to trade up to. And throughout the history of the draft, like moving up, I think, is way more expensive than, than people realize. Like, especially in a draft like this where there's really good talent at the top, like, it's not just going to take a pick and two late picks and like a young player that, you know, is kind of cast aside. Like it's going to take some serious stuff. It might take future picks as well to kind of do something like that. Like the last time seven specifically was involved in a serious trade, it was the Jimmy Butler trade. (laughs) When he went from the bulls to, um, 
to Minnesota. He got traded with the 16th pick for seven and Zach Levine and Chris Dunn, who was one year removed from being the fifth pick. So essentially the seventh pick and two other really good lotto picks were involved there to go from seven to a good player. Like I kind of think that's kind of what it would take to get to three. Five-ish is a little harder to say. That's not as big of a jump. That's kind of within the same Pacers tier. Maybe their own picks and one future pick gets it done. I don't know, but it, it's more significant, I think, than most people realize with how this draft is kind of structured. Tony, great stuff, man. We'll let you get back to the sticks. We know you have a couple of levels to complete over there, you know? <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that, but I'll just say thanks, guys. Much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. We'll catch you later. There he is. Tony East covers the Pacers for Forbes Sports, Locked On Pacers, and Sports Illustrated. Um. You know, I I wish people were nice like that as they are on a radio show. You know, when I say something random, when it's real life, someone might not say, I don't know how to respond to that, but thanks. You know, they might be like, it might be a little bit of a different tone right there. You know what I'm saying, Jimmy? (laughs) But Tony's a nice dude. Yeah. You know, it gets me thinking here. Not the, uh, the video game that you were, you know, just crushing it and beating everybody. But what video game were you the best at? What would be at the top of your list there? Probably Mario Kart. Mario Kart. Yep. Yeah, I would say I would say Mario Kart. You Mario know Kart funny? and Mario Party. But Mario Party's more chaotic and one of my favorites to play in terms of that realm because so much can happen towards the end and it basically means nothing regardless of how much time you but you can destroy relationships in Mario Party more than I would argue any other <laughs> game. You really can. So I have a yearly tradition to this day with my older nephew, Mini Matt. So Mini Matt is 20 right now and we've done this i don't know how many years we've done it for gosh at least a decade i would imagine somewhere around there but we do all 32 mario kart races yes yeah and we keep track of it and then we we have a champion at the end i've won one year i'm pretty good at mario kart jimmy i've won one year against this kid (laughs) and a lot of these years it's like 17 to 15 and i'm trying to force overtime which would be five races we've never had overtime (laughs) i've never gotten to overtime but oh i just get my heart ripped out year after year man but it's around fourth of july sometimes i'm doing radio and living somewhere else and it's not quite there it might be later in the year but we try to get together around the fourth of july and we do our annual mario Cart showdown. That's amazing. Eddie, do you have one? Mario Party. Yes. Yep. Yes. Mario Party. Yep. How many how many friendships or or rage incidences have you caused in your Mario Party days? Oh boy. Um <laughs> I would play with my brother and sister, so oh, oh I don't know. I you know, there's times where I try I had to take it easy. But sure. uh I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, don't I know. haven't played that. Oh. I, I'm not in on the Mario Party stuff. Uh Mario Kart is up there as well. Yeah. You love Mario Wii Kart. Wii Sports. That's another one. Sure. Yeah. I accidentally hit my younger nephew in the head <laughs> playing. Here's another story for you. So Ty, my younger nephew, he was young. He was, I don't know, maybe like four at the time. I don't know how old he was, but somewhere around there. We're playing Wii Tennis. And you know how you have to like really snap your wrist. Sure. You know? And so I was trying to get a good forehand or something, good serve, and I snap my wrist, and I hear this smack. And I'm like, what in the world? And I look down, and Ty is holding the back of his head. He was just standing in front of me. And he has this look. (laughs) He didn't make any noise, but his mouth is like, ow! And you know how little kids are. If you're like, are you okay? Oh, my gosh. He would have screamed bloody murder. 
so that's all my thinking was. I was like, oh, hey, you're fine. <laughs> and he just went along with it. He's like, yeah, I guess I'm okay then. You know, that's the trick yeah. I've learned as an uncle is you just, if you have little, little kids, you don't say, are you okay? They lose their freaking minds. You just say, oh, you're fine. And they walk it off more times than not, I think. I, <laughs> this price says more about me than it does you. That's built for tough. Uh, there it is. I was really hoping that that was, of all the Wii Sports games, that would make the most sense for violence to have occurred. You guys were playing Wii Boxing, and that's not where that oh, story yeah. went. It was instead just a, just a forehand to the face. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. It was Wii Tennis, <laughs> and he was just standing right in front of me looking at the TV, and I accidentally hit him in the back of the head. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, he Protect walked yourself it off, at man. all times, the Wii yeah. Sports. You gotta, he, gotta keep your head on a swivel. He did a very good <laughs> job right there. Uh, you know, we were just talking hoops with Tony East. And I'll throw this to you. They talked about it during the game last night with Jokic. What's the best way to defend that guy? Do you try to make him a scorer? And he just torched the Suns. Remember, he like scored 50-plus points the one game. How many did he top out at? It was close to 60, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so he certainly can score if you make him a scorer or if he's a distributor and he just gets everybody else involved. That's rough, too. Like, you're basically screwed either way, but what's the lesser of two evils, in your opinion? Is it him being a scorer or a passer? If it's happening in the paint, I would almost rather him get 30, 35 just doing work in the post and focusing on everything else versus sending doubles to him all the time. And then, like, I get the gamble, but this is now at least going on one series into another where Denver has faced similar situations where they're relying on either shooters, obviously didn't happen in game one, or they're relying on cutters or just guys being in the right spot that can knock shots down. I would almost rather not give an open lane to Jokic, but be like, all right, bam, or okay, obviously not Cody Zeller because he played six minutes, but <laughs> somebody like, hey, go get yours, go focus on him, that's fine. We know it's going to be rough for you, but we're, we're going to play this out and let the big fella get his. That's what I would do. Yeah, I think making him a scorer is the better way to go, but here's what I really love the most, and trust me, I'm not trying to outsmart Spolstra. He knows way yeah. more than me. I'm, but does this not make sense to you? I think starting the game off, just single covering Jokic, where he's scoring – but he's not getting other guys open looks left and right. Because if they get open looks, chances are they're going to make a decent amount of them and they're going to get comfortable and they might hit some key shots down the stretch. I like the idea of making Jokic a scorer initially, at least the first half into the third quarter, you're single covering him. And then maybe as it gets later, you try to double him and guys that haven't gotten open shots and haven't quite gotten into a rhythm, even if they're getting open shots, they might miss them down the stretch. I kind of like that two-pronged approach, if you will. No, I really like that. A lot of it is, though, based on not just the role players, but if Jokic and Murray are going to combine for 53 throughout this series, there there is no, not going to be any pushback. This thing is going to be yeah. done by middle of next week or whatever the that's the other thing that bugs me by the way like it is what it is but we say for the conference finals we don't possibly have time to space these games out more we couldn't possibly do it and then it said two games a week in the finals it'd be fine yeah it is goofy i i kind of like just because i want the best quality possible sure I, i don't have an issue with it not being every other night you know, if you get a couple of nights off in between, it's fine. I'll be there for game two. It's on Sunday. Okay, cool. I'll just wait till Sunday instead of Saturday. 
you got to keep the Stanley Cup NHL playoffs in mind, too. They don't double up on the same day. So they start Saturday. That's why NBA's not going until Sunday. It's a smart move by the NHL right there. You know, it's... <laughs> well, they could have moved it up. Like, the NHL, they probably could have because the last game was Monday. So they've had three days, almost four days off in total now before they start playing. Are you going to play some puck bets there? You going with Florida? Uh, they've been hot. I don't know. I can't go against Vegas. They have just been so dominant so far. It's hard to bet. I'm not probably not going to bet either way because um, I just really like watching hockey right now to the point to where I'm understanding the sport and the players. Yeah. So uh, the only time I ever bet is somebody ever tells me something they like. You, Jimmy, you getting in on puck bets? Go with Florida the way. This is the way is the Florida Panthers. That's where I will be placing my, my bets. They've been crazy good. When you beat the best regular season team of all time in the Boston Bruins, and then you're just hot knife through butter, mostly the rest of the way. They've been really impressive. I, I got to roll with, with Florida. With plus money? Yeah. And, and they've been that hot? Yeah, I got to go with the Panthers. My here. favorite stat, I think, so far this spring, is that the Panthers and the Miami Heat one it's either more games or as many i can't remember i think it's more but one more games than the boston bruins and the boston celtics did in td garden this postseason that is just a that is just a chef's kiss beautiful stat it's one thing for both of them to get dropped by eight seeds during the postseason the same postseasons in different sports it's a whole nother thing to have basically been what we talked about the nfl right home field advantage home court advantage how does it uh-huh. matter yeah two teams from south florida won more games that you did in your building so that's obviously in the playoffs, right? Like yes, you yeah, go yeah, in yeah, there in, in the postseason. Yeah, yep, yep, yeah, yep, smack yep. him around there. But wow, that is because Miami won three games yep. at Boston. Think about that. Boston won one game at home. Miami won three on the road. <laughs> we didn't talk about this because we weren't obviously together in the show rotation. But did you see that coming? Because I thought, like, you know, all right, maybe Miami could hang around. I thought Boston will ultimately win. I didn't see an avalanche by Miami coming. I just oh, didn't, I didn't you're see talking it. game yeah, seven. Game seven, yeah. I listen. I said going in, it wouldn't surprise me either way. Boston is so weird. I wouldn't sure. be surprised if Boston wanted a blowout or Miami won outright. I didn't think Miami was going to win by 19. <laughs> I, I I didn't see that coming. No. no. All right, coming up next, a potential major football rule change and an overrated accomplishment. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So I saw this, Jimmy, where uh, Tony Pollard, Dallas Cowboys running back, he says that he'll be cleared for camp. So he injured his ankle in a playoff loss to the 49ers last year, broke it. And the reason I bring this up is because it's bigger than Tony Pollard. If you think about the league in general, you could see these tackles being outlawed in the not-too-distant future. It happened to your guy Patrick Mahomes also. 
where Mahomes in a playoff game against Jacksonville, he got hit by Arden Key, and Key just accidentally fell on his ankle. That's how Mahomes got hurt initially. Tony Pollard, he got hit by Jimmy Ward, who's a a DB with the 49ers at the time. He's now with Houston. But Jimmy Ward tackled Tony Pollard, and just the way, like, he's chasing Pollard from behind, basically. And so he accidentally, you know, uses his body to tackle Tony Pollard and ends up breaking his ankle. I, I look at it like, I understand why the competition committee would look at that and they call these hip drop tackles. I understand why they would look at it. But look, man, I I don't know what you're supposed to do. Tony Pollard is really strong. So if you're a defensive back and you're trying to make a tackle and you're sort of form tackling him as you're chasing him, he's going to pull you. Are you supposed to just let go then because you might accidentally land on his ankle or his leg? Like, it's just like some stuff's going to happen in football. You can't outlaw everything. Look, we can dive into a number of different areas. Just the absolute atrocity that Arden Key put on display in that playoff game. And we just have an epidemic on our hands of, of serious injuries that look, I was very upset when the play happened, right? But I don't think that Arden Key intentionally tried to hurt Patrick Mahomes' ankle. I don't think that it was an intent for Tony Pollard to be injured in that situation as well. Mm-hmm. Here's my thing with it. I I need to see more of it in action of what the idea would be to try to correct it because I have the same pushback with the protection of quarterbacks to an extent. I get very upset in general. I'll use Chris Jones as the example where there's times where he's called roughing the passer and it's what do you want him to do? Like outside of putting a pillow and a blanket out for him or let go of the guy, Mm -hmm. there's only so much you can do before you're severely limiting what a defensive player can do. So I, I'm with you on that. Like, I don't know if it's necessary to have a, a full-blown investigation into it or have a full-blown reinvention of what a tackle really is because I don't know how much of it is genuinely preventable without taking away further what defenses are legally able to do. And also, how would you go about fairly enforcing it? Well, that's the thing, and that's why the committee, they said, we don't know how the officials could call it in real time. <laughs> like, I, I Listen. We don't know what a the, catch is. We don't know what a catch is in this league. Well, how are we supposed to properly define if it was a on-purpose type, or if it's just any time it happens? If, that, if it's any time that play happens, then sure, I guess it's pretty easily identifiable by the Sky official or uh, the head referee, because you look at the tackle on Mahomes, look at the tackle on Pollard. Yeah. If that's called a hip drop tackle, well, I've seen that. I understand that's what it is. Yeah, I think that's just bad reasoning. Because right. you can tell. I would agree. I would agree. You, if if somebody tackles Tony Pollard and accidentally lands on his ankle or leg, you can tell what's a hip drop tackle and what isn't. That, to me, doesn't make any sense from the competition committee. Whether that should be a penalty or not, that's the discussion. It's not whether you can tell in real time if it is or not. That's just silly to me. But I would compare it to, really, the closest comparison is a horse collar tackle where you're grabbing a guy from the shoulder pads from behind and dragging him backwards that to me makes sense where that is incredibly dangerous and the the question becomes well then what are you supposed to do well not that you're supposed to actually tackle him without grabbing his jersey and yanking him down backwards i'm totally fine with the horse collar tackle being outlawed 
But the hip drop tackle, some of that is just football. Like, unless you want to make it where we got to make it equal for the, the defender. You know what I mean? For the defense is if you go in for a tackle and this guy, the ball carrier, is so strong that you kind of like follow him and you're not bringing him down, if it's then on the ball carrier to just give himself up, okay, that's not football. It's not football either way. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. I don't want to see Tony Pollard get hurt or Mahomes get hurt. But I know some stuff just happens in football. You can't prevent every injury. And if you're just tackling someone, it's not intentional whatsoever. You can't outlaw that. You can't outlaw the hip drop tackle. I'd be completely against it. When you look at what happened to Tony Pollard, it's a solo tackle just with one player on him. And it looks, in my mind, clearly incidental, a normal tackle. It just It's a freak injury that happened. I have the obviously the article up that you're referencing, and they have it on a loop of both of those plays. Yeah, Mahomes is sandwiched in between two guys, like you mentioned. There's a hand that goes up, grabbing him within a horse collar area, up behind his neck. Like it's a really gruesome tackle to begin with. I don't know. I'm not I, I, without showing Chiefs colors. I can't sit here and tell you that when that play happened, and oh, as I saw did. a replay of it, that I didn't think that it was man. Something needs to be done to protect the quarterback more. But I don't think it was intentional, which is why I lean to agree with you more, Brian, is I don't know where there's a room for gray area and where we are limiting what defenders can actually do on the playing field. Right. I don't know that there's a, a possible pinpoint answer where it helps prevent that without fully limiting what a defender can do. Well, and that's the thing is, it was unfortunate with Mahomes, and that's it. Listen, Arden Key tackled the guy. That's not a horse collar. He's just hitting him from behind. And then just the way it was, where there are multiple players in the area, like you said, Jimmy, and Arden Key accidentally landed on Mahomes' ankle. It's unfortunate it happened, right. but that's not intentional at all. There was so much talk about him meaning to do that, and that's what... It, come on, man. Like, that that's completely inadvertent. That, that There's no way you could teach doing specifically that. It happens in the fraction of an instant. Like, that, that's not intentional at all. It's just unfortunate. You can't outlaw every unfortunate hit in football. Otherwise, it's not going to be football anymore. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that there needs to be a fine line with it. But if this becomes... This feels like something that just popped up this year, right? It doesn't feel like this is a five or ten year trend where it's like, oh man, quarterbacks are really getting hurt like this or key players are really getting hurt like this. Mm-hmm. If, if it becomes more documented to where, okay, he's has the ball carrier secured, he's bringing him to the ground, and oh, he's kind of leaning in with his hip to put pressure on his legs to take him down further. If it's more documented than that, then I'm okay with a real investigation into it and maybe trying to change things. But right now, these are kind of one or two off freak accident type things. It's clear nothing was malicious there. I don't think it warrants a full-scale investigation right now. If it continues, though, where it looks like it is intentional, again, not from these two plays, but if it does, then I think you have a larger issue of, okay, let's really dive into this. Let's talk with coaches. Let's talk with defensive coordinators and players. And is this something that maybe it doesn't look intentional, but from the form tackling that's taking place, something needs to be modified? Yeah, I think you got to be careful with it because, I mean, the most famous example of the horse collar was when Terrell Owens got hurt. Right. And Roy Williams of the Cowboys was you know, tackling him from behind and he hurt his leg badly. And that made sense 
for that to be a, a complete, you know, reaction to is like, we got to outlaw this. I, I can't believe, by the way, that you can horse collar tackle a quarterback in the pocket. That's legal. That blows my mind with all these safety changes. You can still do that. <laughs> like, think of a powerful athlete like, say, Anthony Richardson. Let's say he's in the pocket, and then he, he doesn't have an open receiver, and he decides to tuck it and run. When he tucks it and initially starts to run, there's a lot of torque on his lower body, you know? And if someone at just that instant happened to horse collar tackle him and yank him down from behind, totally legal. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. But it also, it wouldn't make sense to me to outlaw the hip drop tackle. Like, unless that is somehow, some way becoming an intentional act, okay, then we can talk. This happens in in a second because these ball carriers are so freaking strong. Like, you, you make impact initially and they keep going and you're just holding on for dear life. That's all that's happening. That's it. There's nothing sinister going on here at all. The NFL is achieving what it wants to with my next statement here, which is that it's a quarterback-driven league. And let's take Mahomes out of it. Let's say it had happened to Joe Burrow. If if that's an injury that ends a playoff run, that legitimately ends a season like it's a broken leg because of that, yeah. I think the pushback is far more severe because it's not really a ball carrier in that situation. It's a quarterback that's just trying to step around the pocket, find space, find a throwing angle versus with Pollard or like a wide receiver that's out in space. Like sometimes weird stuff happens. Again, this is a weird example. I'm not saying by any means that with the Mahomes tackle, it was anything more than just a freak accident, but you know the NFL will always jump to protect their quarterbacks. And if it starts to be like, well, a lot of people are suddenly having hip drop tackles a part of their arsenal when coming after the quarterback and it leads to injuries, again, that's, I think, where you have a larger discussion of, okay, maybe we do need to step in, even mm-hmm. though it might take something away from the defense. Okay, Jimmy, we've got a, an overrated accomplishment to get into right around the corner. And then also, picks galore. There is something this weekend that I absolutely love. If you're like, hey, the betting window is at 76th and 34th Street. I am racing <laughs> over there to play, place my money on this. Well, the French uh, we'll, Open? No. <laughs> well, maybe. I, I can't give the it away FA just Cup yet. final? Uh, maybe. I can't give it away just yet. But that's all around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, he's Jimmy Cook here on the fan. You know Being the spelling bee champion, Jimmy, it's totally overrated. It's totally overrated over now shout out to this guy here. This just happened this week. This is Dev Shaw. Okay? And he took it down. He's a fourteen year old kid from Florida. He won the uh, national spelling bee. And this is the final word and the spelling of it. And check it out. Everybody's all excited. It's uh, and you should you should be excited for this. Here you go. Samophile. P S 
A M M O P H I L E Samophile. That is correct. There you go. There's an ion right there as uh, Dev Shaw takes it home with Samophile, which if you're scoring at home, this is an organism that prefers or thrives in sandy environments. Is Samophile. Now, here's my stance, Jimmy. You tell me if you think I'm crazy. But uh, look, props to these kids. They work so hard. They are studying for hours and hours, There's a days, bite coming, months. Brian. There's a bite there, coming. There is. And, and really, honestly, props to them. Now, seriously, <laughs> these are worth ethics that it's going to carry through in life. Right, yeah. sticking to the task, seeing it through, battling, competing—all of those things. Here's what I'm hearing right now. Very well. When you're talking, here's what I'm hearing. We've just uncovered information that's fairly important to the situation. We just uncovered a fair amount of new information. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Is what I'm waiting for here. Okay, now here's the thing. Here's the butt, <laughs> small butt. It's a totally useless skill going forward. Okay, like. I could just Google Samophile and get in the ballpark and find the actual spelling. It's going to take me a minute, tops. But it doesn't take that kid a minute. Well, good for him. (laughs) I'm not going to have Samophile on my resume, okay? Like, even if I did, I would look it up. I've got spell check. I've got things at my disposal that that even the playing field over here, right? So I think sometimes we're ooing and aahing about the skill of spelling. The skill of spelling doesn't get you anywhere. Nothing. But what goes into it, yeah, that'll translate in life. Okay, so the one thing it does work for, and this is not an everyday life skill, but it's the purpose of the process and all the time and effort and energy that you just hyped up them putting into it. Uh-huh. You're looking at anywhere from $50,000 in prize money if you win the spelling bee, which for a 14-year-old kid, you would assume if you're putting the amount of time in to sure. the spelling bee, that's going to go towards whatever your future career or college endeavors are. So there is a means to an end in that regard. <laughs> I don't fully disagree with you, though, that much like a number of different things that you might pick up within school days, depending on your line of work, you're, you're not needing to use it as often as it's maybe built up to be. Also, something tells me that they may not need that money for school if they're that smart to smell, spell the big words there. Fair. Fair. They may what? be smart enough for an academic scholarship. Fair. Yeah, true. It, that's nice. That's a nice bump right there. 50K? I would take that all day. As a 14-year-old? Oh, my gosh. That might as well be a million dollars if I was 14 to get that type of, of, of cash. But I'm just saying going forward, that skill... If you sit down in a job interview and you say, all right, Dev, what do you bring to the table? Well, I spell words really well. What else, Dev? Because that's not going to cut it over here. <laughs> like, we got Google. We can replace you day one. You know, we can just eliminate that position right out the gate. <laughs> okay, it's in the same vein. And maybe you'll push back on this because it would surprise me one bit. <laughs> I love, for example, Nathan's hot dog eating contest. I do. I love it. It's a 4th of July tradition. Just like the spelling bee, there's not a ton of carryover in that regard for like it being a a major meaningful thing other than maybe some endorsement deals uh, here or there on the hot dog side, which you're not likely getting with scripts. But it's the same level of it's a a novelty thing. If you're good at it, very Mm -hmm. exciting. 
cash out, get a belt, enjoy a little bit of flourishing in that regard. After that, though, it's not really going to help you long term in life. I'll tell you what, I'm way more impressed by eating a bunch of yeah, hot know, dogs than spelling words, you know? You? Honestly, I'm probably in with hot dogs, too. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, I couldn't do either one. Right. Like, like, even like you, I thought the point of this topic was going to be, man, <laughs> the, I, I can't remember the word that he spelled. I've lost the article. That it was going to be, oh, that word's so easy. Like, I could have, no, I probably would have, but I would have been oh. like S, eh, and then they would have right. shown me the rope, and that would have been it. Uh, but also with the hot dogs, though, no shot. Like if I got 10 down in that amount of time, I'd probably be impressed with myself versus whatever Joey Chestnut's up to 90. With- There's no shortcut, right? You can study the origin of the word <laughs> samophile and get whittle it down. You can't study the origin of that, you know, like ballpark hot dog <laughs> and then get it down any easier. By the way, you mentioned this before the picks, the hot dog thing. Mm-hmm. Great unknowingly transition over unknowing transition uh, jimmy is how about our boy will the thrill levis so he was talking about his fantasy football league he was talking to nbc sports and this is what he said the uh, the punishment was to come in last place in his league here it is what's the last loser punishment you guys did in the league oh last one was we had to make him eat a whole pack i think a dozen uncooked hot dogs go on like instagram live and like eat them in front of like everybody so we felt like that was a good one yeah how about that go on ig live and eat you a whole pack of uncooked hot dogs that I, is a bet punishment right there. I think they would have just been fine with mayo and coffee. I think that would have been good, too. Yeah. That, and how about this? This is the end part of that. He didn't he man up and out. do it. Yeah, he didn't oh, do it. That's upsetting. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to listen. <laughs> Dude. All right. It's outrageous. The guy didn't do it. <laughs> how do you just say, no, I'm good. I'm not going to do it after. This what? probably will. <laughs> you can't just say no after you come in last place. You got to pay your debt. It was definitely will. That was not Will. Will Levis is a veteran. He's as skilled at fantasy football as he is throwing a football to receivers that you've actually heard of. The problem was that you didn't have that at Kentucky last year. <laughs> Bright future, that Will Levis. All right, let's get Two to games. some picks over here. Two let's games. earn some money. Let's do it. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day. We're going to start with baseball. Going to lay one and a half on the run line at plus 100 juice for the Miami Marlins. They host the Oakland Athletics. Also going to take the Tampa Bay Rays on the money line. Minus 135 there against the Boston Red Sox. New York Yankees plus 120 against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now shifting towards events that are taking place this weekend. Give me plus 110 on the money line for the Florida Panthers in game one of the Stanley Cup Finals. Also going to lay the eight and a half on the Denver Nuggets in game game two and for the FA Cup which takes place tomorrow at 10 a.m. Give me Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Holland of Manchester City that at plus 300 and minus 190 respectively as any respectively as any time <laughs> goal scorers uh, 0-3 yesterday makes us 4-6 and six on the week. Can Eddie, you, you slow have? down and give those again? Because you're like, you're moving too fast for yeah, me to keep There's track. a lot going on there, I'm used Jimmy. to us being late in the break, and I feel like I'm up against <laughs> well, it. I realize we have, realize we have here. more time now, so I'll, I'll go slow for you here. Okay, all right. Miami Marlins. Marlins I caught that. Late that was one it. and a half. Yeah. I caught the, the Marlins and the Nuggets. Everything else. And your Yankees. Oh, but go through it. Go through it. What do you have? 
<laughs> Give me the Tampa Bay Rays on the money line against the Boston Red Sox. That's minus 135. Uh-huh. Yankees over the Dodgers plus 120. Wait, now I saw that Tyler Glasnow, he's pitching again. He wasn't dazzling against the Dodgers in his debut. So you really like going run line? With the Rays on that? Uh, even though the Rays have come back down he to earth a little line. bit. I went money, money line. Money line. Minus 135. Money line for the Rays. Money line. Money line for the Rays. Money line for the Yankees. Run line for the Marlins. Those are your baseball bets. Hey, I don't hate it. I really don't because, look, the Rays offense could outscore Boston even with Tyler Glasnow going. That wouldn't surprise me at all. How about this, though, Jimmy? Do you like the Yankees more than the under in this one? I think this has like 3-2 written all over. No, I, 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 I really like the under. Luis Severino, who is looked sharp his first start of the season after coming back from injury. Obviously got Clayton Kershaw on the other side. I, I could very easily see this being a type of under bet. I'm right there with you on that. Okay, all right. And the other ones here? Other bets laying 8.5 on the spread for the Denver Nuggets. Now wait, hold on right there. Because you swung, you scooped the eight and a half in game one. And I, now I did. you're swinging the other way yes, based on what you saw this, this, last this, night? This is, this is part knee-jerk bet, part I think this thing's done. Laying eight and a half on the Denver Nuggets. <sighs> okay. They hold serve at home. It's a desperate spot for Miami. Plus 110 for the Florida Panthers. We talked about that earlier. I don't hate that at all. Yeah. Over the Golden Knights. And then FA Cup final, Manchester City, Manchester United. There's not enough like value to play Manchester City outright, who I think wins. To win the FA Cup is minus 300. We're not dabbling in those waters. So we're going to take Erling Holland instead, their top scorer and the top scorer in all of Europe at minus 190 to score any time. I know it is, but we're also going to back that up with Kevin De Bruyne, another solid player for this Manchester City attack. Plus 300 is him as an anytime goal scorer. So I'm making up for it a little bit there in the juice in that regard. Great Boston name right there. Reminds me of Dustin Pedroia. <laughs> you know, Pedroia the Destroyer. Over there. Now, I'll give you one pick, and then Eddie can grade us. I love when Eddie just hates our picks, and he's like, what are you doing over here? Haven't I taught you anything? I've got some, too, so don't... don't okay, all right, me. I'll go quick. I love... I am hugging right now the Game 2 over on Sunday night between the Nuggets and the Miami Heat. A couple of things to consider. Miami couldn't hit shots in game one, okay? All their role players, three of them were combined two for 23 from the field. They're not going to be that bad in game two. Maybe some game one jitters. Maybe a little tired on the heels of that best of seven series against Boston. Only two free throws attempted by Miami. That is a playoff low in the NBA. Playoff low, not NBA finals. They're going to attempt way more free throws. And Denver didn't even play well in terms of shooting it from distance. They'll be better. They're a little bit of rust as far as their nine-day layoff. I love over 214 in Game 2. All right, here we go. I've got the Vegas Golden Knights in Game 1. I don't think they lose at home in the first game of the Stanley Cup Finals. They just they have been so good at home this postseason. In Major League Baseball, I am going into that Rays-Red Sox game, but I'm going minus 134 money line for the first five innings for the Tampa Bay Rays. I do not want to be screwed over by that Tampa Bay Ray bullpen later. Give me Glasnow in the first five, and we'll call it good. Uh, And then finally tonight, I will take the under seven and a half between the Astros and the Angels. Astros push back. Framber Valdez one day, who's supposed to pitch yesterday, pitches today, Mm -hmm. goes up against Shohei Otani. Both these guys with sub 2.5 ERAs. Give me the under here, and I like the bullpens. They're both rested, and they're both good. That felt less dramatic without the music. 
I understand I it's not your fault right 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 but, but, yeah. but it did. Podcast audience doesn't get it anyway, so what am I Do you have like a Lamb of God music bed handy? Hey? Yeah, Eddie I'm keeps sorry. it on standby, believe not. it or not. Right I next to the Slayer. <laughs> right next. Slayer. <laughs> in, in case of emergency, here's the Slayer sound bed right there. Yeah. Uh, what do you think real fast? What do you guys think about the over in game two of the basketball series, NBA finals? Do you like it? What's I it at? Do you it. have it in front of you? 214. Yeah. Mm. Eh. Yeah, I'll go over. I freaking love it. I'm going to hammer it. I'm going to be a rich man when we fill in again to some time. Everybody have a great weekend. JMV coming up. We'll see you.